I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. Tom Unprepared Bionic. No, he moved that? it. He moved the microphone. Did you not see that? Yeah. Our, sort of in the middle there. And then our listeners to... have no idea what you're saying, but it's great to be back with you for another edition of the Future Quake Show. Uh, the reason why we're even less professional than our normal standards, yeah, if that could be, is uh, we have a special in-studio guest with us again this week. Yep. Uh, by by a real surprise, we have someone we want to talk to and share with you something that we think will bless you uh, this week, and uh, we're just glad to have you uh, in our studio. So I want to introduce Josh Kelly uh, from Calvary Chapel at Rivergate here in Nashville, and we're going to talk about uh, observations from face-to-face ministry to local immigrants and refugees. And I just want to say, Brother Josh, I want to thank you for joining us, rather impromptu style, on short notice for a quick visit to the Future Quake Show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to have you here, and uh, probably should have had you on here a long time ago. But um, this visit was spurred by something that I uh, heard you uh, in a ministry that you were dealing with in our local church that uh, impressed me enough and really inspired me that I thought our listeners at Future Quake I would really be moved by what you had to share and what we heard and witnessed at church this past Sunday. Um, again, it was spurred by this uh, report of a ministry event that you and your fellow church brethren gave to our church congregation and congregation in our local church, which I felt was profound enough uh, in its implications to warrant sort of this general discussion that we're going to have. Um, and uh, to begin our discussion, can you please explain a little bit about what the scope of this overall ministry was that you uh, and your brethren have taken in this area here in the Nashville area that you had shared with at our church? And uh, what have you done in this area uh, previous uh, to this most recent ministry event? Sure, yeah. We um, actually, uh, my wife and some people from a home group that were part of at our church and one of our assistant pastors, um, we had... Well, let me interrupt you. I'm uh-huh. sorry. I didn't mean to do that. But no. let me just make sure our audience understands you're a lay person. Right. You're not a uh, prof- staff person, you know, by profession, a theologian. Right. Um, you have a very active career. Right. Uh, but you're also very active in service in your local church. Right. You work with the youth, if I remember mm-hmm. right. Yeah. And, and a bunch of other ministries at our church, too. Mm-hmm. That's right. So uh, you have a full life in your regular career and being a husband and all that. And then a very full activity at our church, of which what you're going to talk about is just a small part right. of your ministry. Okay. Right. Yeah. Well, proceeds. Share with us about this. Uh, okay. What What happened to come up with this uh, unique ministry? Well, j- just a little bit of background on it. I had heard about people that had worked with an organization called World Relief in Nashville. And what they do is help place refugees from all over the world um, into the United States and help them in their first uh, part of their life here. And uh, so we knew of some people that had sponsored a family that were refugees. And um, I've always liked people from different countries and getting to know them. And so we contacted World Relief, and they connected us with a family of refugees that are Bhutanese, and they have been living in Nepal for about, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Now, let me make, understand, this was a small group you had at church that yes. originally started this. So yes. this wasn't some big institution or some big major thing. Nope. It was just a really ad hoc small group at church to get together for Bible study. Right. 
you felt led to do more than just study the Bible and pray, as important as that is. Right. That you felt like service should be a hallmark, even though you're doing tons of other service. A lot of it is in church, but this was something you all wanted to do external to the community, and you weren't looking for just the church to do it or somebody on staff to do it. You was just a handful of people in your small group said, you have a personal responsibility yeah. as the Lord leads you to do this, correct? Yeah, and okay. I had a desire to do it because in the past I've worked with um When I was in college, I worked with an international ministry, and we became friends with them and shared the gospel with them, and it was just really rewarding, and I, I just mm -hmm. enjoyed it. So when I heard about that as a possibility it just honestly i just kind of wanted to so mm -hmm. so anyway world relief connected us to this family that came over from nepal and moved to the united states couldn't speak any english or anything and um we had originally thought to do it as a way to share about the lord to these people possibly and become their friends well we found out they they were uh believers they knew jesus And it was really cool. And, and we established a, a really close friendship with them. And we actually went to a wedding of their daughter. And um, so we would and we would come to their apartment complex every week or so or, or every few weeks. And as we went there, we saw these people just hanging out in this mm -hmm. apartment complex. It's in South Nashville. And there's people from um, all different backgrounds there. But a lot of kids just hang out. Mm -hmm. um, people are very friendly. You'd meet teenagers and and adults and people just uh, just um, with not a lot to do mm -hmm. and so we kind of got the idea of um, helping um, these people beyond just the family that we were helping but mm -hmm. bringing people from our church down mm -hmm. and I'm you a know, youth you know, let me just mention this is very interesting because a lot of people would find this kind of ministry overwhelming mm -hmm. and they would think boy the problem is so big Yeah. How would I even get started? How could I even have an impact? You know, I'd be a drop in a bucket. Yeah. But the fact was, even though you had a small group, mm -hmm. you started with a small scope. You started with a family. Mm -hmm. You couldn't solve the whole problem, but right. you could begin with a family. And you actually even went and got some need, some like material needs that they needed, right? Mm -hmm. Even before then, you began to, to supply some of that. Mm -hmm. um, and then you, you even asked people at church, did you have things you know and everybody right. had to listen that and, and people from my work we actually had a christmas project for them and yeah work gave them some computers and stuff like that and they them. probably one of the most valuable things that i think they have is the future household uh sofa bed that was no longer used. they do have that <laughs> it's a collector's item and if they it's like taking the ark of the covenant you know if they only understood the full gravity of what they had it's on a really nice asian rug now that looks really cool is it really so it's uh yeah well i hope they have candles in front of it and things like that where they venerate it as it truly deserves they have, they have some interesting artwork in their apartment do they, yeah, they do they yeah. so i didn't mean to interrupt but i wanted people to understand that when you started small like this yeah You see these as human beings, as mm -hmm. real people. With real, you put yourself in their shoes. You have empathy. Yeah. But then suddenly you open your eyes around. You're looking circumspect, and you see, boy, the fields are wide into harvest. Mm -hmm. You know, you're making a difference in this one family, right. but you're saying, boy, if we only had this kind of stuff, what we could do. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of the end of Schindler's List, one of the most powerful moments in any movie, I think, mm -hmm. when he goes to leave and he realizes that these trivial things like a wristwatch and things could have made provision for more Jews to be saved. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most lucid moments in the history of film when you suddenly realize we're sitting on top of things that can be life or death for people. Yeah. 
And that's one thing about service like this is when you finally take the baby step, you get involved and get integrated, your eyes open to so much more. Mm-hmm. So take over from there. What happened then when you saw a wider opportunity to minister? Yeah, well, I, I just kind of had the idea to to have, I don't know, VBS, Vacation Bible School, or some kind of an outreach event mm-hmm. where the community at large in this apartment complex got involved. And I just mentioned it to the people that we were down there with. And um, so, and I'm doing high school youth ministry, so I thought of it as an opportunity to maybe bring some of those students down there and expose them to some of these kids. And um, there's actually a uh, Bhutanese church with a youth group that meets there, so I thought maybe they could meet them. So that was the original idea. And the youth from our, some of our youth group wanted to get involved, and that was good. But then our our assistant pastor said, hey, we need to open this up to the rest of our, our church. And so uh, we did, and we made an announcement for it. And we had these little yellow papers that everybody filled out if they wanted to sign up. Mm-hmm. And we just got a really strong response from a lot of people and a lot of families that, that wanted to take part in this. Which was, you made an opportunity for God to send a signal to you. Mm-hmm. If he wanted this to be done on that scope, yeah. My my idea was maybe more of a youth event, and it was kind of like he took it a different yeah. direction and got a lot of the other people involved with it. So, okay. Um, so anyway, we uh, so we started planning what to do, and and our main goal was to have an opportunity to share the gospel to get to to let them know, you know, who Jesus was. But we also wanted them to feel welcome to the United States because mm-hmm. we we realized probably a lot of them haven't even. Um, probably met an american before or maybe they you know they might have mm-hmm. lived here for a while and not really had that interaction you know from what you observed of them if you were in their shoes mm-hmm. what, how do you think they would feel about being here from what you know if you were one of them what would be the kind of things going on in your mind right well, now well one thing I, I can say from personal experience my yeah. father-in-law was a, uh, a refugee and my wife to the mm-hmm. united states and they felt uh, just real lost and not in their and not mm-hmm. in their uh, home country and and uh, is really difficult. And so mm-hmm. and these people, they're all just desperate to learn English to get a job. They're so grateful if they get a graveyard shift job for minimum mm-hmm. wage. So they're just I think in their mind they're just kind of struggling to survive mm-hmm. and and figure out what they're doing. Now what did they flee? Sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Different. I mean, different. I don't know all the stories. The one, yeah. the, the Nepalis or the Bhutanese that lived in Nepal, they were basically sent out of the country because of their ethnicity. They at one point had migrated into Bhutan, and then they were basically all moved out. But there's people there from Burma and Iraq and Egypt and uh, Korea, um, China. So just uh, Africa. So there's a huge, mm. huge range of people. That what kind there. of different religions are represented in that community? Um, Buddhism, Hindu, Islam, Christianity. A lot of there are a lot of mm-hmm. Christians that live there. Um, nothing. If you're, you know, right. I met a Chinese person that was probably just right. nothing. So they're all refugees. They all came, and although they have all these different religions, one thing they all have in common is they're struggling to try to make it day to day here in America. Mm-hmm. To mm-hmm. flee from a bad situation, and now they have a different set of challenges mm-hmm. here here in America. Uh, obviously, language is a big issue. They're trying to find any some kind of work. Mm-hmm. Is there any other kind of major culture shocks that you've noticed they deal with? I'm trying to figure out basic things like health care or mm-hmm. where do we go to the hospital? What is a hospital? They yeah. can't even describe sometimes the difference between a hospital and a doctor's office. Right. They even asked us once 
where can they buy land? And we had a good interpreter. These were our, our uh-huh. Bhutanese friends. And they were trying to figure out where they could buy land to, like, have an investment for the future or to bury their dead. Hmm. And we got to explain to them kind of the idea of life insurance. I mean, just really mm-hmm. basic things that is a total foreign concept to them. So mm-hmm. so just the, the necessities of life they're just trying to figure out. So You know what's ironic is that we just had a group from our church that went to Kenya. Mm-hmm. And they were had that the shoe was on the other foot. They were immersed in a different culture, mm-hmm. even though they were only going to be there for a little while. They didn't have to worry about long term provision. Mm-hmm. They had to get back, and they had enough culture shock being there for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So these people here for good, they got to take care of their families. The ones who were Christians, mm-hmm. what did they expect from the church? Did they ever tell you sort of what they did? Had they expected the American church to reach out more so when they got here? I don't know. They haven't. That we haven't had that conversation yeah. with them but they they do have a strong church family that they're a part of um in, within their community there's actually a house church that meets mm-hmm. in their apartment and a couple other ones so they do have that the ones that are christian have that support yeah there so have you gone to one of their services or within i went to a wedding and they did a lot of singing and and music there and then some of their youth have played some of their praise music for us so. okay i just wondered how it was different um it's 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 let me think they're very uh animated in their worship and some of it sounds like american worship some of it sounds uh-huh. almost like what you would hear in india huh. um so it's not our their idea of praise music isn't always the same as ours it's uh-huh. very different yeah uh-huh. hopefully god can sort it out he can still figure <laughs> out i think so yeah i think so yeah Wow, that's interesting. Well, let's go back to this main event that you just put together. What was the scope of what you planned to do? What all did it entail, and what what were you hoping to accomplish with it? Okay, well, I don't know exactly. We probably had about 50 people, and we had different people organize um, different areas of the outreach. Mm -hmm. And so we had crafts um, that had, like, a Christian theme to them, because a lot of them don't have any kind of really good decorations in their homes. We had... uh, we had a table where we handed out Bibles in different languages and Jesus films in different languages and uh, also scripture track type things that they could mm-hmm. read in different languages. We had games for kids. Um, we had some food and drinks we handed out. We had volleyball. And we had some music that uh, Tom Bionic here helped organize and mm-hmm. um, and had some of the youth play with him at that. Um, and... Uh, so we kind of just did all of this and let people from the community just kind of flow through it. And um, they love the crafts. This was like, they just thought it was awesome, and mm-hmm. especially the women and, and the kids. Um, and we had people just So in other words, the people, Bibles. the Christians that were running the craft area, they didn't have to be major theologians, in other words, no. to go through a whole lot of very, very intensive specialized training. No. To be able to go minister to them that way. Right. No, it was more that they showed them the love. They cared enough about them to, to help them do this. So. And that was exactly what was needed. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what, what did you hope to accomplish? I know you were just sort of leading up to see what the Lord would do, but did you have in your mind what you hoped once you were done for the day? Well, well, I mean, our, our kind of the basis for what we were doing is um, we use some verses in Scripture that talk about welcoming the stranger and welcoming the foreigner. Mm-hmm. So we wanted them to feel welcome and, and like some American people actually cared about them. Mm-hmm. And um, and we also did want the opportunity to show them the light of who the Lord is, you know, and, and give them 
Bibles and give them these films and and some of them that may have never heard about Jesus they've been brought mm-hmm. to our doorstep here and so it was a real opportunity to uh, to get to do mm-hmm. that with not with some agenda and not mm-hmm. preaching at them but yeah. really just getting to meet them and become mm-hmm. their friends and stuff so you even welcome the people that weren't Christians yes definitely. is that right yeah okay you weren't afraid of them we actually had one guy and we weren't that he was a uh, um, Nepali refugee, and mm-hmm. he was a Christian, and somebody was trying to give him a Jesus film to this guy that he knew as a Hindu, yeah. and he was going, no, 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 don't give that to him, and he didn't understand that we yeah. were there to give it to him. We were like, no, it's okay. We want to yeah. give this to anybody, so yeah. it was it was kind of funny to see his reaction. Well, that's that's awesome. Um, how, how else did you prepare for this event in terms of spiritual activities? You you talked about some Bible verses. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you had some organization mm-hmm. time for people to do different kind of tasks and stuff. But you also had spiritual preparation, didn't right. you? Yep. Well, we asked everybody to be praying, obviously. And then we met together a couple of times for corporate prayer and um, before church on a Sunday morning. And, um, actually, I, the one I got to go to, it was it was... It was really powerful for me, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was there, and uh, so I, it we kind of had both. I mean, mostly prayer was our mm-hmm. more as far as spiritual preparation. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Did anybody have any feel about anything after the prayer of that they felt like the Lord told them even before it started? I can't think of not mm-hmm. nothing specific, but I mm-hmm. think it. Um, I think it made the group more unified. You know, whenever you pray together, it's a pretty intimate thing, and so. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot. I think we had a lot of unity in what we did, and mm-hmm. I think sometimes maybe you know prayer helps that. It was uh, yeah, I'm sure it was a key part of it. And the fact is, some of these people had not been involved in your ministry for a while. They just sort of came this one time. They didn't know what to expect. Probably had a lot of apprehension. Mm-hmm. One of the guys who testified at, at our church said he was sort of almost drugged there mm-hmm. by his spouse. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it varied a lot the the level of buy-in mm-hmm. as was normal. For people, particularly this first time going, so the spiritual preparation was really important mm-hmm. for it to be something constructive, not only for the people that you were uh, ministering to, but even to the people who were doing the ministering. Yeah, and I think we had some people there that had done outreach events in the past to people, and mm-hmm. they were really wanting the opportunity to do it, so they were really excited to be involved. And mm-hmm. We had even had a couple of middle school kids that have told me they really want to be missionaries when they grow up mm-hmm. and they're not one of them reads voice of the martyrs for fun so they're yeah, not messing yeah. around yeah and uh th- so it sounds was, like I, they would enjoy future quake then if they can endure painful things <laughs> like that yeah that, that might push them too much you know fox's book of martyrs in fact was a breezier read than a typical future quake but well they uh i think they were a little shell-shocked but i think it was a really cool experience yeah. for them and one of them came up to me and said it was it was kind of crazy. These people kept trying to steal the crafts from my dad, and and I, and I said, well, Joseph, that's kind of part of ministering yeah. to people that are in poor. Sometimes you get taken advantage of, right. you know. And it was kind of cool for him to get to see all mm-hmm. that. People are des- desperate. Mm-hmm. What did you find to be most remarkable about the event itself? Um, well, I, I would say the thing that was most reassuring is I felt like the Lord confirmed to me that He was in it because. We didn't want to do a lot of just stuff, you know, and go mm-hmm. out and, and kind of in our own strength. And so I had some interaction, especially with this one Chinese guy that um, he wasn't even a Christian. And his dad had been telling him he needed to go to church because the people there were nice or something along those mm-hmm. lines. And I got to ask him if he knew about Jesus and share with him. But I say that to, that it was like that that kind of thing doesn't just happen. It was like there yeah. was there was 
the Lord had prepared his heart to be able to receive that. And so mm-hmm. to me, that was confirmation for me personally mm-hmm. that the Lord was there. And then, I mean, I've heard a lot of other people that, that felt the same way. And uh, mm-hmm. just so I, that was the that was the biggest mm-hmm. thing to me to know that it wasn't just us doing it, mm-hmm. but that, that the Lord was doing it. You know, people always picture, particularly if you go to people of different cultures, that they're going to be immediately hostile. When you start yeah. talking about this, you expect the worst. Waving swords around their heads. Yeah. <laughs> and we forget that we have a message that's good news. And the message that everybody else has really is not good news. Mm-hmm. Therefore, there should be an appeal to the message mm-hmm. that we short sell, basically. Mm-hmm. What we're setting on that should be great news for people if they can hear it in its genuineness. Mm-hmm. Now, Beyond the crafts, didn't you have even like physical activities? Like, was there like some like wet slides or we something? Had a big, or? Yeah, we had a big water slide going down the hill uh, that the okay. kid they loved that. Uh, okay, I think we used the wrong kind of detergent, so they might have some soap burns. But. <laughs> yeah, well, that's part of that suffering yeah. thing we were yeah. talking about the martyrs. <laughs> you know, every time they look at those rashes, they'll think of you though as a good keepsake. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't know about that. Did they actually come to a complete stop going down? That's when you know it's bad. Uh, probably when they hit the grass. Yeah. When they hit yeah. the grass. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you had something fun for the kids, kept them busy. You had crafts for the ladies. What about some of the men that came by? Um, you know, I think that's one thing we look back on, and and that's a challenge is mm-hmm. engaging men and engaging like teenage boys and that kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, some of the men, I think they were just sitting around observing, watching. Yeah. And so, like, one of them, I got to go over and I, I just talked to him and just kind of heard mm-hmm. his story and told him a little bit of mine and my family. Mm-hmm. So um, so I think with some of the men, they were watching and, and you kind of see and, and just they want to have a conversation with you, yeah. you know. And so right. I think that's what happened with that. So. Could, could you have things like horseshoes or something like that to teach them? Yeah. Yeah. More older people kind of games. Or yeah. they have those little things with the little sock things that go in the, like the little boards on the ground, you know. Cornhole. Yeah, cornhole. <laughs> Something like that, you know. Yeah. Um, that could just be a forum for them to collect, you yeah. know. Uh, and I think that's one thing we took away is we didn't we don't know it all, you know. And and we when you do it once, you kind of start observing and saying, hey, this is how we, like, yeah. just like you're saying, you can kind of see how we do it the next time. You, you know, for older men, I would say in fathers, the main bait, if you want to attract them, is ice cream. <laughs> so that would be, I've never seen a father who ever turned down ice cream anywhere. Well, we did have frozen popsicles, and we, we had a few men eating those. So, okay, okay. the ice cream's a good idea. It was yeah. really hot that day, so we were a little afraid our yeah. ice cream would, like, melt. Okay, all right. Um, I understand, you, you, you mentioned there were people of other faiths there, mm-hmm. uh, even Islam. Mm-hmm. The dreaded Islam uh, people were there. Uh, how did they respond to your presence? And you even had Bibles to offer, right? We did. We did. What happened in that whole experience? Now, if I listen to most Christian media, you would be dead by now because they would have pulled the scimitar out. And, yeah, you'd be, you'd be gone by now. So what really happened when you had these encounters? Well, uh, And you all are a bunch of people who really haven't had all sorts of training right, in this, right? right? You, you're not some kind of pro. No. You're just out there just giving yourself over to the Lord. So right. what happened? Well, we just, I mean, we just had conversations with them and kind of asked them about their story and what they were going through and their struggles. And uh, um, we had a, a couple of conversations with a family. Well, some people had the conversations with people from Egypt and um, Iraq. And, and the ones from Egypt were just, some of them were talking about how they were just lonely and they needed friends. Mm. 
and they weren't actually refugees. They had just come here as immigrants, and so they felt kind of slighted, like they didn't have some of the same advantages as yeah. some of the refugees. And uh, and then I had an experience where we had some Arabic Bibles out on the table, and um, you know that's typically what the uh, is people Muslims can read is a lot of them read Arabic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just caught her out of the corner of my eye because I didn't want to pay attention, get, you mm-hmm. know, freak right. her out. But she kind of waited and waited, and then she just picked it up. And um, and it was a real moving moment for me because people... A woman. Yeah, in public to pick up a Bible. That that shows you that there's a lot of... Did something. her garb indicate she was Muslim? No, I ass- okay. I made that assumption okay. because she spoke Arabic. And, oh, and okay. So, well, I mean, if she's going to read uh, read Arabic. So good, I did make an assumption Good likelihood, on that. yeah. yeah. So, so, but, but in their culture, regard Muslim or otherwise, that was a very bold step for her to take. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, to do that on her own. Yeah, but she had a thirst for something that was written in that. It seemed like it. In yeah. that book. And we had some people that were just thrilled to get a Bible in their language. So it was, it was cool. And we had our people that worked at the table took a list of anybody because we ran out of the Bibles. We didn't have a whole lot. Mm-hmm. So we didn't know what to expect. So we had a list of like 10 or 12 people with their apartment number that requested a Bible that we didn't have available. So we're going to go back and um, and hopefully kind of get to meet them and, mm-hmm. and, and give them a Bible and um, get to interact with them as a follow-up thing. So They basically opened the door for you to come in yeah. and minister to them mm-hmm. through that. They really mm-hmm. did. You know, there's a lot of people I knew, well-meaning Christians, who have tried to do door-to-door witnessing and they get door slams. Mm-hmm. It sounds like if they want to go to that community of people, they're going to get treated differently. Mm-hmm. Actually, in this community, there are no doors because we <laughs> yeah. have been in the apartment, I promise, mm-hmm. and you never if – if you hear a knock, you know it's American. But you never – when we're there, you, yeah. never, you never hear a knock. We're sitting at the table, and we've been there for an hour or two sometimes teaching English. And we've, you'll have literally 30 people probably during the time we're there come in kind of sit down, see what's happening, and go out. And they go in and out, in and out. and so Just total communal living kind yeah, of environment. There's okay. no concept of, oh, we've got to knock before we come in the yeah. house. Now, most of them are close friends and family, but yeah. it's uh, it was pretty fascinating. So yeah. They must think we have a weird culture I think, yeah, of how put-offish we are, you know, that everybody's so segregated. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true, too. But, of course, you know, our fellow Americans think we are a weird culture. Tom, so you know you can relate to that. Um, what impact do you think this event had on the people that were watching you? I understand that even though you were in sort of a central area, you could tell that there were people in the apartments and stuff sort of watching what was going on. What, what do you think? I know this is a speculation that it may have had to the people that were watching you beyond those that you actually met. Um, I, they probably just got curious, and hopefully they'll actually get to. to uh, if they want to hear the gospel about Jesus, because mm-hmm. we gave out like a hundred uh, DVDs, so odds are somebody they know in that apartment complex took away something from that. So even if they were on the outside looking in, maybe they have the opportunity to watch that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, some might have thought we were crazy Americans coming into their mm-hmm. territory. I don't know. But you were at least ca- crazy Americans who cared. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's still yeah. okay. Yeah. You know, Jesus will still take us when we're crazy, if yeah. we care. Yeah. And uh, I, I've got to think that must have made an impression on them, even if they were fearful to come down there at yeah. first. Yeah. It and might be the third time that they venture to come down there. Yeah. And make contact or take a closer look at you. Yeah. Yeah. 
And um, and and the uh, I felt like it was a good um, testimony to the apartment manager, and and he was real, will open and happy and welcoming to us that we were here. But I, I think it it spoke to he's an American, but I think mm-hmm. it spoke to him that we cared to come down and and hang out with those people because he actually cares about the people that live there. Mm-hmm. So now the church where we collectively attend, mm-hmm. what would you guess? We probably have two hundred fifty three hundred if you count everybody and the children, all the distributed youth and everything. At church, would that be a good guess? On a given Sunday, yeah. On a given yeah, Sunday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of those, you had 50-something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of that that actually came and volunteered. We had a big mix. I mean, anybody from, you know, four, fourth or fifth grade all the way up to, you know, probably 60 mm-hmm. or something like that. So. And a smaller group could have also done something on Absolutely. a smaller scale. but could Well, still we weren't planning to have that many people, so yeah, I hope so. It was more of a yeah. challenge to keep all those people actively doing something, right? I mean, yeah. Although one thing we wanted to do when we went is not have everybody super busy and okay. have the opportunity to just talk and hang talk. out. So I felt like that happened because and, and, the point is not to just do your program, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So. Did, didn't these people say something about were they mystified at the extent of kindness? Like, why were you all showing kindness? Seems like that was a testimony I heard from some people. Yeah. They would ask you point blank, why are you here? You know, they they just don't understand. They're, they're yeah. just curious. They would ask you straight up. And, uh, and yet some of them, one of the the women that was helping do the crafts, one of the international women, I don't know where she was mm-hmm. from, gave her a card saying how thankful she was and, and how grateful. So they, they were definitely appreciative, mm-hmm. yeah. It wasn't like you were giving color TVs out or anything. No. It wasn't, okay, it wasn't anything like big... <laughs> <laughs> Big expensive thing you're doing here. These were simple craft kind of things. Yeah. But the fact that you cared, mm-hmm. and they're not as jaded as Americans, where, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to get Americans to come to church. Unless you got some major big event or ex- big extravaganza, you know, on Easter or something. There, you just showed a care to talk mm-hmm. and to break their humdrum existence, mm-hmm. you know, with somebody who actually cares and maybe will listen to them or they're trying to figure something out. So you don't have to come with a lot in your pocket. You know, a big world ministry center to be able to start making a difference with these folks. No, you, you just talk to them like a regular person. Some of them, mm-hmm. they, they might just love to practice their English with them. Some of them know a lot. Yeah. Some of them know a little. But, um, and, and for me personally, to be honest, international people, especially Asians uh, that are from other countries, they're a lot less intimidating to Americans than me because right. they're, they're so humble and, and they just... They enjoy talking to you. So mm-hmm. once you kind of get over that maybe fear factor, it's right. It, it's uh, they're they're very kind and loyal people. Right. Yeah, I always find when I'm really sort of stumped in a different cultural thing to just fall back on the golden rule. Mm-hmm. You know, you think, what if I was in their shoes? What would I be thinking? What would make me feel comfortable? What would it, what would if somebody said it to me would show they cared about me or interested in me? Mm-hmm. And that goes a long way. And I think that's the thing we forget first. When you hear all the heated rhetoric in the Christian community and media about this stuff, there's zero empathy. They they don't stop and think, well, what if I was in their shoes? You know, how would I care if I was looked at this way? And when you directly face to face get engaged with people like you did, all that other kind of rhetoric just disappears, and you're looking at another flesh and blood human being like yourself. Mm-hmm. And you could easily put yourself in their shoes and recognize the struggle and realize I don't have to do a whole lot. To make a big difference in their life, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, to be honest, they'll give you a lot. I, mean, I feel guilty coming away. Sometimes we'll go to their home and they'll cook us all this food, and they don't have very much. Yeah. And so a lot of times I almost feel guilty because I feel like I'm getting more than than I'm yeah. giving. You know. So. Right. And they'll give you the best they got. 
Exactly. Yeah, they will. Yeah. They will. And it's good. Their food is really good. Yeah. yeah. They make something called momos, and they're they're really good. The little, the little rat things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the they're little dumplings, and yeah. they have good stuff in them. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, you, you mentioned about yourself, what you get out of it. What were some of the words that you heard from some of the other people who helped? What did they get out of it? The people who helped you or fellow believers. Um, I think they were just I think they were just excited that about the uh, the response and the uh, the eagerness of the people that live there to take part. And um, so I, I think it was real encouraging to them spiritually um, to see that openness to the gospel and to mm-hmm. us hanging out with them. Um, and uh, you know. So I, I I just felt like everybody was encouraged by it, and they they the good thing is everybody wants to do more. They want to go back. It's not mm-hmm. like they're like that's it, we're done, and you know. Mm-hmm. So it's not a drag. Yeah. To hear about oh we got to go back again. No. You know, what's ironic is that <clears throat> at first those kind of things can be even more appealing than sometimes going to church. Sometimes when you don't feel like it, when you're out in the field serving, mm-hmm. there can be more appeal. But what will happen also is that will it will enrich your worship. Back mm-hmm. with your fellow believers. Yeah. If you have an active service ministry, you realize there's a purpose and meaning to when we do fellowship at our own congregation because we are equipping each other, we're building each other up for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's not just a placebo. We need to be recharged because we've got work to do the next week for mm-hmm. the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so we have a good purpose for us, you know, sort of like when the Justice League would get together and the little uh. <laughs> thing, you know, wherever they met, you know. Mm-hmm. Green Lantern's got to get us, you know. Little ring recharged, you know, before it goes out, and that's what we need uh, when we're when we're together. Um, you know, I, I've alluded to this a couple of times, and our listeners can really get tired of hearing it because we talk a lot about some of the frustration we've had with our media putting such distrust of people who are different. Mm-hmm. They come from a different culture, a different religious faith. Mm-hmm. They paint this picture that every one of them has some kind of diabolical agenda mm-hmm. that they they. You know, we, they can't be trusted, and even if they're nice to you, that means you can't trust them. Mm-hmm. Because the more they're nice to you, that means the more dangerous they are. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, it totally stymies our ability to minister if we buy into that. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your experience so far in terms of the motives of the kind of people you've been dealing with? I mean, did you really feel like they had a, some kind of other agenda or were using you or, or what? What would you say? Um, no, I feel like, uh, uh, that they're just trying to um, to get by with life here in the United States and kind of ha- struggling with how much do I hang on to my old culture and how much do I become a part of American culture. But um, I find people from other countries are, you know, they tend to be really hospitable and um, just happy to to have a relationship with somebody that that actually cares about them, just like anybody else. I, they're they're just not that different from from uh, um, uh, what other you know people in America need. They want friendship. They want people to genuinely care about them. Mm-hmm. And um, and their agenda is usually to serve you if you come into their yeah. home. So that's that's what I would w- say. Would you say those that you have met that are spiritual that have a religious faith? You get a feeling that they really want to please God, even if they maybe have a little different background than we have in understanding. I well, yeah, and I think in some cases it's really come alive to me what the Bible says about when Jesus said um, you have to leave your father, or your mother, or your family to follow me, because in some cases 
Um, we have a we have a friend that's um, her family is Islamic. Her dad is an imam, and uh, and you know if if she were to to um, if she were to to leave her faith, it would be leaving everything that she knows and her whole family and her whole culture. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's 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 what they face too, as far as if they were ever to ever to leave their religion and give their life. To Jesus, it, it would mean it mean everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of a foreign concept to us here because that's mm-hmm. not really what it cost us, you know. So. Well, you know, we stress out if we have to go from Methodist to Baptist or vice versa. Yeah. We think about all oh, the terrible cultural. What will our family think? Yeah. You know, we, we left the family church to another church or something like that. Yeah. And it's just a completely different scale of what you're talking about there, mm-hmm. and the empathy you know we should show mm-hmm. at that point. Um. Our country's changing. It's inevitable. We're becoming more diverse culturally for a lot of different reasons. No matter how much they scare people from one way or the other to try to stop stuff, immigrants are always coming in. It's Mm -hmm. always changing. We're becoming a melting pot. Mm -hmm. Beyond just what you've done so far and just looking at your vision, what kind of approaches do you think would really work for Christians today in addressing the fact that we have this changing culture. We're not as monolithic as we used to be. Um, in, in a way that really reflects God's calling in your experience. And in, um, do, you, do you know what I'm saying? In other words, what, you know, looking at the big picture, what are the kind of things we as a church in America really need to be thinking about what we need to be doing? Well, it's, it's an amazing opportunity to share with people from all over the world, and you can be a missionary right where your city is, as opposed to having to go to India or Burma or China or wherever. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have an amazing opportunity to uh, to share with people. And in my experience, most people that move to the United States do so because they know it's a better opportunity. So they're not angry. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones I've met, they're eager to learn about English and American things. And so there's a real open door to share the gospel with people from a totally different culture. And and God can call them to go back and share with their people. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times it's difficult for Americans, I think, on a foreign mission field to identify culturally. But we yeah. have people coming here right. to be a part of that. So when I was in college, I had the opportunity to be an international ministry to university students. And these are some of the, the brightest grad students that are coming out of their school. And they can have a real impact mm-hmm. in their culture. And we saw many. They're critical thinkers. Yeah. They have to be open-minded, usually in the kind of fields that they're going into. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you know, ministries that reach out to university students that are from all over, it's an incredible opportunity. And um, and and so, Mm -hmm. so yeah. You know, uh, back to the people of the Muslim background. Mm -hmm. If we go into their countries, a lot of times the ones that are really strong, like Saudi Arabia and places like this. Unless you do it extremely discreetly, you could be in real danger. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could be in danger. They could be in danger, even if they just innocently heard you. Mm-hmm. But it appears to me that God is sending them here. Mm-hmm. He's sending them here. And, and our response is fear and terror mm-hmm. and shrieking and threatening. Mm-hmm. When, in fact, if we have anybody to blame for their onslaught, it may be God himself. Mm-hmm. Because he may be sending them because... Um, in some ways, maybe our neglect of being willing to risk our lives to go to these places, except for some heroic figures. There are some missionaries out there, but they're yeah. few and far between. Mm-hmm. So God is sending them here, and it seems like it would be so shameful if we blew this opportunity Yeah, to share you know, this, this free and open environment where they can 
can walk up to a table and take up a Bible or talk, you know, about stuff, explore. At least hear Christianity from a Christian, you know, which, mm-hmm. as I understand, most Muslims have never even met a Christian or read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Or, or you know, or had yeah, they one. have a very confused view of what Christians even are. They they see our Western culture and the way we dress and what we watch, and they assume that's that's what it means to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. And if I could, uh, there's actually a there's a really amazing ministry out there called Crescent Project mm-hmm. that helps. Um, it I don't know if trains the right word, but gets people comfortable and give a basic understanding of Islam. Mm-hmm. And um, they have conferences and training classes. And the funny thing is. There's a lot of stuff we don't understand about Islam. Yeah. There's stuff that we've been told right. that gets us all worked up and makes us get all depressed and think, well, gee, there's no real opportunity. The bridge, the gulf is too wide. Right. There's no opportunity. About all we can do is fight each other and kill each other and see who's standing. <laughs> when you suddenly find out God is even embedded in okay. things in his wisdom, things that give us the opportunity and the key, maybe even in the Quran. Right. Things like read the Bible. Right. You know, from read the mouth the of Muhammad. Testament. You know? Yeah. So the the doors are there if we educate ourselves, but also in that empathy, recognize they are at least as misunderstood about Christianity as we are of them. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we're not dealing with people, for the most part, who have been given a very clear understanding of Christianity and purposely rejected it. Mm -hmm. Many times they've never even had an opportunity to have a clear understanding of what we understand the Christian faith to be. And it, it turns out to be good news. It does. And it says those who have fertile soil, when they hear the word, they will receive it gladly. Yeah. Oh. You know, listening, I, I've been kind of silent here listening to all of this stuff, and it seems like this gets back to something that we've sort of hit on multiple times is, is uh, you know, our culture seems to be dead set on making people, uh, trying really hard to unmake the people that you don't know, whereas, uh, you know, uh, people like Brother Josh and, and others uh, are going out there and just treating them as real people, and it's like, it's astounding, you know. It's astounding mm-hmm. the impact they have, and it's astounding uh, what they do when they just treat people like real people, mm-hmm. you know. It's and you don't have to wait till you have a doctorate in the field exactly. to go do it. Uh-huh. Uh, you can just go do it. Although I would suspect, I like talking about him in front of him when he's not here yeah. with the mic. But uh, you, you want him to get a doctorate? Uh huh. It's like when you have two adults talking about their kid in front of him. Um, but but what I would surmise is that as you've learned more about these people, you have wanted to learn more about their culture. Yeah. You have become more intrigued in them once you put a face to to a group of people. Mm-hmm. So. Your lack of knowledge didn't keep you from getting out there and serving. It was just a, a desire to serve God and mm-hmm. a compassion for him. But when you do that, you shouldn't be shocked to find out that you really want to know more about the people that you're talking to. Yeah, no, it's true. And you will, but you don't have to wait to start ministering. No. And they're going to want to know more about you when you do it. Mm-hmm. On, on the on the counter side, now first of all, like, like the, the kind of ministry that you did, uh, when you look at all the resources that we have in the church in America... It's dumbfounding if you think, you know, the kind of money we spend on these Christian life centers, you know. If you took all that money, the churches around the country, no telling what you could do. Mm-hmm. Um, what could, in your vision, if we really grabbed the opportunity in the church, what would be the kind of things that you could see us doing as a church in America? Toward For these people? Yeah, mean? yeah. Um I mean, I would say help them help meet their basic needs as far as um, 
helping them get jobs and helping them to find where they can get health care and get mm-hmm. food and just understand um, life here. And then that friendship would open the door to give them a Bible or share with them about the Lord or invite them to your church. Um, so I, I think it's just as you build relationships with people and they see you actually love them and they see other Christians love each other, and they're mm-hmm. gonna they're gonna want that and, and see something different. So um, I don't think it's complicated. I mm-hmm. think it's just it's just being a real friend to them and and being mm-hmm. a, um, a genuine, authentic witness to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I picture all of our Christian businessmen out there, very successful businessmen. We have a lot of businesses in our country run by Christians. Mm-hmm. If they could make a room for another, even if it's just a very low-paying job, mm-hmm. make room for one to pick them on, you know, mm-hmm. maybe more than one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they'd be surprised to find the dedication these people would have mm-hmm. for the opportunity that they were given. Yeah. Um, They're thrilled to death, like I said, to get a housekeeping job for the graveyard shift. And we actually have an employer here that has a, a large hotel, and they hire all these uh, people, mm-hmm. and it's a huge blessing for them because they at mm-hmm. least have somewhere to get some money, and they can all carpool there and all this. So yeah, if you if it it doesn't take much to really change mm-hmm. their life. Mm-hmm. And there's really no reason why we should throw away a good functional piece of furniture, an appliance, any of these other kind of things, just because they've gone out of fashion. Or we'd like to upgrade or anything like that mm-hmm. when these people could use yeah. all of this kind of stuff. Actually, in, in our city, in Nashville, World Relief has a warehouse where they store all the furniture. And when the new immigrants or the new refugees arrive, they're able to furnish their apartment for them when they get here. So it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. So And they're in cities all over the U.S. Mm-hmm. So if you, um, you know, and I'm sure they probably do very similar things mm-hmm. there. And there's other people besides just World Relief. Mm-hmm. But there's, um, so that's. We have, and I don't mean to make this sexist, but we have women who love to sew, who like to make crafts, who like to like, and there's only so much stuff they can put in their house. There's only, I mean, you've been to people who are real crafty kind of thing, and like every corner has something on it. Yeah. When they run out of room. There's nothing to say you can't make stuff for these people, right? Right, absolutely. Go make stuff and give as a gift, you know? Or make it with them. Go Make it with them. Show them how to do it. You know, have mm-hmm. fun together. Show them how to sew, mm-hmm. you know? Maybe get a few of you together and get a small sewing machine for mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, these are things that we can do. We have, if you go in a Christian bookstore, you will find row after row of books to help people who are dealing with loneliness who are dealing with feeling of isolation in their community. You know, people who don't feel like they have friends, just feel disconnected. Mm -hmm. And there is a sea of people down there that would love to have a friend. Yeah. You know, someone doesn't know what to do with themselves. They're sitting at home and they're all depressed. They could go down there and feel like a million bucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just go down there and, you know, if there's language differences, just laugh about it, you know. You misunderstand something, you know. It's it's that's part of the joy of life. Yeah, is uh, is making do with those kind of things. But whatever those things we could do, you can always tell someone, even if it's something really small, this came from Jesus. Yeah, and that's they, what's they different from us that. as Christians. <laughs> yeah, yeah. J- Jesus wanted you to have that. He just asked me to bring it down into you. Yeah, and then the glory goes back to Him. Yeah, which is what this is all about. Yeah. Um. What What do you think? are the dangers in our country if we don't do this? Um, if we just neglect it and stay self-centered? 
I focused on well, materialism, self-absorption. I think the danger is that the that the people that come here that have never heard the the gospel and have never seen what it means to to know the real true God won't have that opportunity, you know. And, the, mm-hmm. and like you, I think you said, the fields are white earlier. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we just have a really unique opportunity because so many people come to this country because of the wealth and because of what we've been given. And um, so I, I just think God's brought these people at our doorstep. So I think the danger is missing that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Eternally, that's the biggest problem. There are people who, whose presence in the kingdom of heaven could be at stake mm-hmm. on what we're doing. It should be the most sobering thing. Mm-hmm. But there's even societal impacts. Mm-hmm. If we don't make a bigger effort yeah. to reach out to these communities, um, disgruntled people cause unrest. Yeah. And, and understandably so, yeah. crime, uh, all sorts of other problems that affect society in other ways yeah. because the church didn't do their calling. Yeah, there's there's a lot of teenage boys that, that group together in this apartment complex, and their families are trying to get jobs, and they're trying to get through school. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if we help them meet those basic needs, then you don't have these these guys just kind of wandering around figuring out what they want to do. But if, if their families are successful and they finish school, and they go on to college and, and learn English and, and provide for their families, then, mm-hmm. then yeah, that definitely has a societal impact. And you could definitely see where if they were just ignored or kind of felt hopeless and trapped, then they're going to, you know, literally mm-hmm. gang together and, and survive the only way they know. You know they get desperate, yeah. like any of us would. Yeah. If we were in their shoes, we would be the same way. We'd be yeah. desperate. Yeah. And uh, they're at risk, yep. you know. You know, we we hear. I, I listen to a lot of Christian media one way or another, and it's always looking for what's causing this problem in society. Is it this group of people, or that group of people, or this political party, or this or that, or whatever? And it's always blaming, but you never hear a lot of looking in the mirror. Mm-hmm. You know, our Christian leaders, other officials, down to the average Christian, they don't say why are we have this problem in society, and they go look in the mirror and say, why am I not addressing it? Mm-hmm. And this is what you talked about is something that you don't have to have all sorts of resources to get started on. Mm-mm. No, the biggest basic need they have is to learn English. So if you can just have a basic English conversation with some of these people, they are forever mm-hmm. grateful. And, and, they, mm-hmm. and they see it when you really care about them. Yeah. They, they know what's real and what's fake. Even if you don't know English so well, like me. <laughs> and you can learn it in a way that's partially discernible. It's better than nothing, you yes. know, for them. Uh, what do you plan to do in the future to sustain this ministry? What are you even thinking about? Um, well, the uh, the most immediate thing is we're going to go back and um, uh, hand out um, Bibles to the people that requested them, mm-hmm. and we'll be we're going to be careful to go out in like pairs, men and women, and mm-hmm. um, uh, and hopefully get an opportunity to share with them about the gospel. And then we have some ideas as far as going back and. Um, Doing some stuff that really for the children, possibly like uh, like a puppet show or something that that's fun and kind of disarming, you know, and almost silly. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that might give us opportunity to, to minister to them more. Um, I, and I think you I think one thing you have to to um, not try to get programmatic, but recognize when you yeah. have a relationship with certain people and keep spending time with them and and uh, and don't overwhelm yourself, but but because yeah. I have a tendency to, you can do that right. sometimes. So. Yeah, you know, I come from a Baptist background, which is great. But, boy, we, 
so much get committees and get everything super organized in a million programs that it's like you almost have to like shoehorn the person that that you're ministering to to comply with your plan. Like you're supposed to want this right now. This is what I'm supposed to minister to you for. Rather than just being sensitive to the Lord's call. When you see a need, when like you said, this event you just did was because you looked around and saw there was an opportunity to do something on a bigger scale. Mm-hmm. You had no idea how big the Lord was going to make it, mm-hmm. you know, for this go around. Mm-hmm. But there's a, in, in the corporate world, they call it agility. You have the agility to sort of turn the rudder when you see the Lord doing something. And that's just called listen to the Lord and abiding, mm-hmm. abiding in him when you did that. Yeah. Um, any beyond that, anything else that you're thinking about? I assume you'll still be reaching out to this particular family that you all have adopted. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they just had a baby. They just asked us to come. They're having a birthday party for their baby. I guess that's what they do. Right after mm. they're born, they have a birthday party. So we're mm. we're going to go hang out with them for that. So They almost become like an adjunct to your small group itself, didn't it? Yeah. Almost like sort of an honorary member of your small group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And anybody out there who wants to get together with a couple other Christians can do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would encourage you, if you're interested in, like I, I keep mentioning them, but World Relief, they, they will, if you contact them and say, hey, I'd like to sponsor yeah. or help a refugee family, yeah. they will directly connect you with them. They'll have a caseworker that explains who you are. Yeah. So you kind of have an avenue in their life, and and it's it's very non-threatening. And uh, so there's there's organizations like that. Can, and that the can people want you. your help. It's not oh, like yeah. you're going to encounter hostility. Anything you can do, they're going to be appreciative of. They're they're incredibly appreciative, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a caseworker, I'm sure, will sort of help keep some decorum. If you're a little scared about what's going to happen with these people you don't know and strangers, it provides a little stability yeah. to, to get things on a good track. And it is a leap of faith. It takes some faith. And you have to, yeah. it makes you step out of your comfort zone and ask the Lord to give you wisdom and how to, how to even talk to this person sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it takes, uh, it takes some, faith and and not all your wisdom to do it right (laughs) which we need more of more and more of those steps Uh, as far as like resources Mm -hmm. were there certain financial commitments or things you had to do to do that you know what we had a we had a bake sale at our church that raised a few hundred dollars and we had a few people donate some Mm -hmm. money for bibles and dvds but the financial commitment for this was was Uh. very minimal i mean it was a few Uh. hundred dollars we're going to spend some more money to get some more bibles yeah but uh, what about when you first got started, though, with your small group? Oh, with when you, when small you, group? When you first oh, adopted the family, what kind of financial commitment did you have? Nothing. No, there no. was no. I mean, and as we went along, if we saw they had a need for something or a ride yeah. somewhere, but no, there was not a financial commitment. Okay. So I'm I'm, I'm trying to dismiss any kind of uh, <laughs> things that our listeners might use to talk themselves out of this blessing. Yeah. Um, any any other suggestions on how our listeners in remote pockets around the world that listen to our show can get involved in a, in another manner? What about, I mean, if they if for some reason in their area they don't have a family relocating or something like that, any suggestions on how they can find opportunities like this? Um, as far as places to go in their community, you can you can look for uh, restaurants. Where is there an uh, a, a restaurant that? is um not american yeah. it might be from somewhere else or like i said a school or a university um so i mean those are the if you don't know but um i mean there's there are ethnic refugee populations in pretty close to a whole lot of yeah. places it's not it's not that difficult to right. find them right 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 uh just a couple of addendums here from a 
Tom Bionic. Yeah. Um, first off, uh, I want to commend Brother Josh here for coming on the show and, and right. uh, just remind the listeners that he kind of walks it like he talks it. You know, he mm-hmm. was. He didn't even have a book to sell here. Yeah, he. <laughs> he he's not coming here hawking something. Yeah, he drugged me down to a to a uh, a Kurdish restaurant one time to give. Give the dude. He went in there once in a while, and he gave the dude. He, I guess the guy was leaving, yeah. and he wanted to give him a Bible. And uh, was it an Injil, like an Arabic Bible? Yeah. And uh, um, that's really all it takes, man, is yeah. the the willingness to step a little bit out of your comfort zone, uh, treat people like people, and you know just show the love of Jesus to them. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be the greatest spe- public speaker. That the world ever found. Yeah, yeah. Really, there's really no good excuse I can think of not to get involved. I agree. As you know, fear, and we know who gives us fear. It's not God. Yeah. God's the one that, and God doesn't have a report card to evaluate how well you did it. He evaluates how much you care. Mm-hmm. And how much you want to please him, and that's all he really, really evaluates on. I want to thank you so much for joining us on such short notice. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, you're welcome on a regular basis if you want to share your two cents, because I know from from what what little extent I've been involved with you, you get your nose in the middle of things that are really provocative ministry opportunities in one way or the other. And again, you have a very active career in family life, and I don't know how you do everything you do, um, but I know one thing. People who give excuses that they can't do a whole lot of this or that, it won't hold much water when I compare them to your example. Yeah. They, uh, uh, you're a living example that you can sort of keep it all together. Yeah. And uh, your first priority is, is to the Lord's work. And I just want to thank you so much for joining us. Do you have any last words uh, for our listeners? We we have pockets around the world listen, sometimes just one or two. Some of them really can't find a good Bible-believing church. They're searching out there. We tell them to. This is another reason they need to find some fellow believers is to maybe get with them to do some ministry like this. So mm-hmm. any last words for our gang out there? Um, I just agree with you that it's it's in, it's in, it's encouraging to uh, minister to other people. It encourages you, you know, if you're feeling down. Mm-hmm. Or, you, or sometimes you feel like, what is this Christianity? Is it just this big uh, inward-focused thing? Yeah. And sometimes it becomes real real when you when you go out there and do that. And I mean, I'm I'm just I'm nobody special at all. And and uh, if the Lord's not in what I'm doing, then you know what I'm saying like mm-hmm. I have to keep asking Him to be part of that. And for me, I have to be careful not to uh, to to overcommit to self. Sometimes I think you can do that too. You know. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to know what the Lord lays on your heart. Uh, there are more opportunities once your eyes are open than there is you. Mm-hmm. So there's no lack of not knowing what to do. There's no excuse for a bored Christian, mm-hmm. in other words. Mm-hmm. And, and the last thing I just want to say to our listeners is that when you're involved doing something like this and get so involved, in, in essence distracted by the needs of other people, Satan has a really, really hard time at that point getting us to feel bad about ourselves. Mm-hmm. It really stymies his normally very effective ability in American Christians to make us get all down in the mouth when we're really busy doing that. So I want to thank you, Brother Josh. Please come back again. Okay, thank you. And I would be glad to have you back at Future Quake. Okay. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom... Bye. There you go. Well, we had our first uh, maiden voyage with... uh, our, our dear friend, uh, Josh Kelly, mm-hmm. with us. Uh, the rigging held. It was good. The rigging held. That's right. Yeah. Um, 
I'm really inspired by the ministry. Are you in that group? Are you in the same small group? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, it's a cool, really cool small group, man. There's yeah. a lot of uh, uh, brother, brother Chris White and Connie. Yeah, are, are in it, and uh, myself and Josh. So not much and, going on uh, spiritually in that group then. Yeah, a lot of lunacy. Yeah, y'all are like the super friends of small groups. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's really cool, man. It's it's a it's a real blessing to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is. Man, I could just see you know a lot of spiritual battle going on. They see all you guys getting together. That's that's exciting. I, I'm just really inspired about the simplicity of what they've done. It's actually just motivated out of a heart caring. Mm-hmm. Um, just go out and talk to people, man. You know. It's, I was reading this, I was reading this, and, and where I live, you know, like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I only talk to, like, the same 14 people every day. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, it's, I was, I was reading this, reading this thing about this evangelist guy who just goes and hangs out on the street and says, you know, hey, man, how you're doing? What's your name? And, uh, he prays every morning before he goes out and witnesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, if somebody, somebody tells me their name, uh, then I take that from a sign from the Lord that 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 uh, they need to hear the gospel, and so he just yeah. you know he gets to know him a little bit and yeah. somehow swings the conversation to Jesus. And if they don't like it, he's like, oh hey, no. Problem. Well, you know that ministry can't be important because I don't hear about it on Christian media, and yeah. I never see the name come up. He's, they never get invited to like the he's actually big Washington talks. Yeah, he's actually really cool. Um, he was a uh, he was like a, a a hippie that ended up getting saved at the age of like forty five. Yeah, and uh, um, he went over to went over to Thailand to see what the what the missionaries were doing over in Thailand. Yeah, and he was so just broke up about the Americans who got arrested for doing dumb stuff. Right. Uh, he wound up he he wound up like hanging on to this hanging on to the the uh, the the cyclone fence of this this Thai uh, prison and just shouting the gospel a hundred <laughs> yards at these people, just crying his heart out, and so. <laughs> Yes, and it's 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 yeah. it's totally cool. Yeah, I so. guess they don't teach that at seminary. No, it's not like a career track. No, you know, in, in that service. I don't mean to make fun of the people. No, no, no. I mean, I don't mean that. I just mean it because it, it just seems. You know, I grew up in sort of like the the key evangelical kind of. Mm-hmm. You go this, this, and this, and this, and if you choose for a career, you do these things, move to this church and a bigger church and bigger. Mm-hmm. And then you got these people that are go hanging on to fences. Like shouting the gospel at people who have been yeah. convicted of like, you know, multiple counts of drug running right. and prostitution or something. Right. You know. And and, it's, and it's that powerful. and through that person was the way that Jesus showed up at that place. Mm-hmm. Not through yeah. anybody else or any other big major ministry, big big operation. Jesus showed up through that one guy who just felt the need. Yeah. Well, and I don't. I mean. You know, we we tend to goof on the established structure, and, and myself. You know, I respect. I know. Yeah. You know, I know the Lord's using them and things. Well, and that's you know, it's interesting we're talking about this because that's one of the things that I think about a lot is, um, I tend to get overly, overly intense about like stuffed shirts and stuff sometimes, yeah. for lack yeah. of a better sort of a derogatory term. Yeah. But man, the Lord is using them a lot of them in their sure. their own way too. Sure. You know? Sure. And, yeah. The thing I want people to know is. And I think this should be a classic case of, including the next one we have, there's no excuse to not participate. Yeah. I can't wait for the next one. And um, if you want to avoid depression, if you want to avoid feeling like on the sidelines or whatever, just mm-hmm. get up out of your chair. That's all yeah. you have to do. And the world will start being a better place. First of all, more people will join the kingdom. 
Jesus will be able to minister to people. But there's all sorts of good things that happen when you get involved. Mm-hmm. And it's one crazy experience anyway mm-hmm. in the process of doing it. So I guess we should go on since uh, we've got a lot in this show here. We need to move on to yeah, it. Yeah, man. We're going to have um, Brother Tim Kilkenny, who mm-hmm. uh, is co-host of the Tim and Mike show, who's had a experience that that has some similarities to uh, yeah. brother Josh we just talked with I would say it's I would say it's the same enough to you know the similarities will be obvious yeah but it's still like a different thing it's really cool but the attitudes are similar the yeah. attitude of how we see ourselves how we see God and how we see other people that's the commonality there so mm-hmm. with no further ado here is our talk with Tim Kilkenny and we'll be back for wrap up here at future quake welcome to the future quake show I'm dr. future and I'm Tom. It's always a party in Bionic Land. Bionic. Okay. Another enigmatic middle name. We get more than one this week on Future Quake. Yeah. It's a two, what they call a twofer yeah. right there in Philadelphia. Well, we also have a twofer on our guest because we have another guest dropping in to join us. Someone who uh, should be a little more familiar to our audience of Future Quake. We have the one, the only, uh, Tim Kilkenny from the Tim and Mike show. And I want to welcome you. Back to the Future Quake show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's uh, my pleasure. We're not used to having really polished media giants <laughs> like yourself on here. <laughs> uh, you've got a show heard by millions every week. Uh, where, where does your show pop up on the uh, on the Internet waves now? Oh, um, we got the Tim and Mike show. It's on uh, Talk Show. It's, it's kind of a, a live broadcast that we do on Wednesday nights at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, and it's uh, one of the shows on the Revelations Radio Network. Uh, yeah. So you're part of that same cabal along with us. That's right. That's right. And I think uh, I actually uh, kind of came clean about being the FBI informant for the Revelations Radio Network just just a couple weeks ago because you were you were really poking hard there. So. And we mentioned that on our show that that we 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 did pass it on to the listeners, but then I refuted it because I figured the real FBI. Uh, you know, front wouldn't out themselves, so I, I figured that that moved you down the list of being at, in the. You know, I'm still thinking Chris White might be it, or maybe Johnny the Longshoreman. I think I am. You think you are? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Colin Ross got a hold of me, and see, I've just never associated you and intelligence together. I, uh, I don't either. Actually, <laughs> that's why it's so. That's why it's such a good disguise. Oh, Tim, sorry about it. It's hard. To, you see, you, you started the bickering here, Tim. You, you got that started here. Hey, yeah. uh, before Come on, swinging, ready, fight. Before we get into your discussion, can you give us just a little quick and dirty? Uh, you told us about the time your show's on. How long have you been on the air, Tim and Mike show? Um, started in November. I think we're on episode thirty-seven or something like that. Congratulations! So, thank you, thank you. Yeah, you, it's a it's 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 a trying thing to try and come up with a uh, content each week and, and try and do it live. It's a it's definitely something that the yeah. Lord uh, helps me to grow in more than anything. Well, one of the things you can do like us is just have really low standards and really not have any useful content and come on anyway. Mm. That has served <laughs> us for seven years uh, on here. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things uh, our listeners, if they're not quite familiar, I, I just want to refresh their memory as they say in court, um, is that you are a critical linchpin of our ministry to the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Uh, we had the very faithful NRB 13 who showed up on site in Nashville when we had our prayer that we read for our Christian leadership uh, in media. But it was broadcast around the world via your show, was it not? 
It, yes, it was. It was a wonderful opportunity to for me and for for everybody really to uh, kind of give back to Future Quake and, and be with you there in prayer. You know. Well, and uh, I tell you, it, it was a critical linchpin to have to you know hear your reports that there were literally people around the world that were joining us in prayer at the time, and uh, nobody else came up with the wherewithal to do that except for you all. And uh, I will always appreciate that. And the audio from that still lives. Uh, on YouTube, uh, where you can actually hear the audio from that show, and uh, hopefully it will, you know, in some way bless people. Yes, excellent. Yeah, like I said, it was just a chance for me to give back. Your your show has been pretty uh, influential in my spiritual walk, so it's just, you know, I'm, I was happy to do it. Well, I'm glad you've been able to recover anyway, in spite of us, uh, in spite <laughs> of that influence. Uh, I want to I want to jump in to our discussion, which has sort of a curious connection to our first guest that we had on Future Quake tonight about ministry opportunities uh, that are under our nose. Um, and you know, you've been with us before. Found out a little bit about you before, but was there anything else that you'd like to add a little bit about what's been going on in your life, just very briefly, uh, if it's pertinent to uh, what led you to get into this ministry that you're going to talk about tonight? Um. No, I, 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 you know, I, I don't think so. I think, you know, I, I, a brief background is uh, just uh, grew up in a Christian home. Um, didn't, didn't really, uh, didn't really um, follow the Lord like I should have from the beginning there, and kind of rebelled against uh, my parents and such. And uh, you know, kind of, kind of just went out there and uh, just, uh, you know, try to find my own way, so to speak. And and uh, yeah, just made a mess of things, a general mess of things, and. Uh, one of the, the blessings about making a mess of things is that you can really realize, once you've done that, <laughs> that you need help. <laughs> right. And right. Uh, and and uh, so uh, yeah, I, I I realized after after a while and some, some sort of fast living that I needed help, you know, and uh, kind of got sober and and uh, uh, kind of woke up, you know. I actually had joined the Navy and uh, kind of had a more uh, con- kind of conservative right, maybe, or maybe even somewhat liberal uh, political view. And, uh, yeah, upon joining the Navy and continuing uh, in life, uh, just uh, was kind of asleep to the, to the world around me, as well as kind of rebelling and, and uh, just kind of lost spiritually and, and such. And, uh, yeah, uh, from, from there, I, I actually uh, kind of, started to wake up I, I fell into the new age a little bit after mm-hmm. you know kind of discovering some things about you know 9-11 and watching a, a movie called freedom of fascism that really kind of woke me up and snapped me out of my slumber and anyway i started kind of falling into the new age from there and uh from you know at that point uh, i really just decided i was going to you know try and uh, disprove uh, biblical christianity and uh, a lot of times when i say that people kind of gasp you know, like, oh my goodness, you wouldn't do such a thing. And yeah, it's it's definitely not in you know, it's not the, the, the desired way, you know, for people to to come mm-hmm. to know about Jesus or whatever. But but there are major know, hazards to fall out of hating Christianity when you start doing that. That you know, <laughs> the, the people who hate Christians, that's one of their last fatal mistakes is to try to disprove it, and then they accidentally become Christians while they do that. A- amen, amen, and that is essentially exactly what happened to me. You know, I. I wanted to put this this Christian thing to bed in, in my head, and I had all these other questions and whatnot. And I said, I'm just going to get out there and uh, you know figure it out and disprove it, and then I'll just you know I'll move on and move past that era that was my childhood and whatnot. And 
you know, just like you said, uh, once you start looking for the truth and you have a true hunger for the truth, uh, and, uh, you don't have any, you know, if you're, you know, really objective, you end up at the truth and, you know, his name is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I was searching through and, uh, found, you know, Chris White and some of his videos and documentaries and stuff. And, uh, yeah. Did, did that get on, you messed up even more when you got Chris White from Tura? <laughs> No, no, it actually started turning things around pretty quickly okay. for the better on the on the spiritual front. And uh from there, uh just uh you know, the rest is kind of history. Just kind of learned and grew through uh Chris White's ministry, Revelations Radio Network. Uh Frank Lordy played a big part in it and uh yeah. I actually was uh met you guys at the last days conference. I, I hadn't actually listened to a future quake before that, but wow. uh yeah. <laughs> But at the last day's conference, uh, you know, I got baptized by, by Joe Jordan and then, uh, you know, got to meet you guys and thought, who are these guys? I'm going I'm to check out this show. And, man, since then, it's just been, you know, a real blessing. I can't wait. You know, I've worked my way through most of the archives, and I can't wait till you know, on Fridays, you know, when you guys are coming out with your new show. So, anyway, so in a nutshell, that's, that's kind of that's kind of what happened. And then I started the uh, Tim and Mike show with the brother mike over there in uh, washington dc in november of last year mm-hmm. and uh yeah we just we basically you know we started out trying to, to cover certain things and it ended up just kind of being a, a show that where christians can kind of unload and, and be honest with each other and mm-hmm. just have some fellowship if you don't have any face-to-face fellowship you can come to the tim and mike show for some long distance fellowship and even a muslim now and then might stop in that's <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's one of my favorite episodes. Was uh, yeah, we had we had a, a Muslim guy uh, come come through, and he actually came to the show for about a month or two. And one of those shows, you were you were there and, and got to pray for him, and that was a, a really great show. Yeah, I, I mean that was just, and I had just come minutes prior to that from a class on how to outreach to Muslims, and uh, <laughs> that was my first class. Uh, Classroom test. First chance you know, to use coming it. Out. it sounded like you passed pretty well. Well, it was it was an interesting thing to watch see the mm-hmm. Lord work. You know, uh, Tim, your, your your testimony you just gave us a little quick and dirty here is the quintessential one of alternative Christian media. Mm-hmm. I mean, you checked off almost every box of what would be a classic <laughs> experience. Uh, right. The only thing is, if you'd like, maybe had seen a UFO or been picked up, that'd be the only thing yeah. to be the checkmate. Somebody tried to suck I, your brains I, out with a turkey baster. Or something. Yeah, and you could say Yahtzee <laughs> then if you yeah. had all those. <laughs> no, I, I didn't see a UFO, but I yeah didn't see a UFO. <laughs> when it comes time to do a documentary about alternative Christian media, your testimony's got to be a centerpiece of it because it touches so many different aspects and pieces of a commonly shared experience. And um, sure. it, it's really exciting. You're, you're a walking testimony of it, is, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, sure. n- now, um, there were some things that happened that related most recently to, to some ministry opportunities that uh, you decided to launch out. And I guess I'm not shocked to find out that, that possibly Johnny the Longshoreman was a, maybe a beginning catalyst He's sort of like the Kevin Bacon of alternative Christian media. There's only six degrees of separation with him and anything that goes on. Uh, he's like the high plains drifter. He just drifts in, except he makes a lot more noise. Uh, he drifts right. in and drifts out. So is there any truth to that rumor that uh, some kind of ministry up to your life sort of got its little genesis there? Sure, sure. You know, Johnny's a great guy. He comes to the Tim and Mike show quite often. He's a big supporter of our show, and... Uh, you know, one of my, one of my other favorite shows, he was, he was on the line with me and we happened to have a, 
a guy call in that's not your typical call into a, a, a Christian radio show, and uh, you know Johnny was there to really help me. So yeah, I, you know Johnny's a, a, a I'm a big fan. And uh, anyway, yeah, uh, actually at the conference, this last conference, the Politics of Religion conference, I heard you and Johnny talking about um, um, doing at least what the Lord asks. You know, and, and how the Lord had listed these things off, you know, you know, yeah. and, and uh, that, you know, visit the people in prison, you know, help the sick, feed the hungry, you know, clothe the homeless. You know, these are things that he literally said to do. And I, you know, got kind of clued into that because I heard you guys talk and then I, mm-hmm. you know, listened to uh, Johnny talking about it. Yeah. I believe he shared this on our show. He, he shared about how he had given, just went out and, and, and found a homeless guy and saw, saw, was like passing through, saw this guy and decided, like, felt the urge, like almost supernaturally, to buy him a hamburger. Yeah. <laughs> and so he talks about just taking a hamburger over. It's the common and, hamburger vision. You read about <laughs> it in ancient Christian text all the mm-hmm. time. It's a. It falls out of the window of heaven, and like yeah, you know, like, a lot man, of the, look at that! Oh my gosh, it's a, a lot of the saints have been deified to the ages for their hamburger yeah. ministry. You know when they. I, I I heard that Martin Luther got his yes. his idea for the hamburgers as well. Yeah. He was the original <laughs> wimpy. He said, "I'll gladly post the the uh, notice Tuesday for a hamburger today." Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, you mentioned giving this guy a hamburger, and it, he said like. It changed his face. Like, it really changed the way he looked, and he saw, like, the love of God, you know, from, mm-hmm. you know, coming back at him. Like, he had done this thing, and to be honest, I don't even remember if he even said anything about God, but he was really shown supernaturally that that can have a huge effect. So that planted, a, you know, another seed, and I just started thinking to myself, like, wow, you know, there's all this, you know, these things that he, that Jesus literally lists. You know, here I sit around as a, you know, uh, uh, American, where I you know more or less have everything I need. I'm not necessarily rich. I'm, my my compound at the Tim and Mike show is not near as big as the Future Quake compound, but you know I'm I'm a I'm a okay you know American, and, and I'm always wondering to myself, thinking to myself, like, wow, I got to figure out how to get out there and, and do something. And I think I overthought it, you know. And here this you know here it was where the Lord had actually written some things down right right in the Bible to follow. Mm-hmm. So on that frame of thought, you know I continued to ramble on and see the Mike show, which is essentially exactly what me and Mike do. Anytime anything good happens from that show, it's uh, all the Lord, and that's and that's that's the God's honest truth, because we, we rarely mm-hmm. even have a direction to go. I think mm-hmm. the Lord just kind of leads us sometimes. But, but it happens there a lot, though. The, the good things from the Lord happen frequently there. Well, they, they yeah, they happen sometimes frequently, yeah. So uh, we started talking about this. This is like a topic where I'm just rambling on, and sure enough, Paul, who's another Future Quake fan, uh, Future Quake right. listener, uh, you know, VIP listener, I would say. You know, he calls in, and me and him have a back and forth talking about getting with uh, into prison ministry. Right. He emailed us. He, he told us he was getting into it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, last week on the show, or two weeks ago, I think, on the show, you guys read his email. Right. And, you know, he was talking to me, and I was talking to him, and I'm excited about this. Let's do the prison ministry thing. Let's do this. And, uh you know, he called me a couple of times and we prayed about it and uh, really just excited to get out there and do it. Um, Paul ended up getting into it, as he said in his, his email. However, I was denied because 
Because during my uh, Navy years, where I kind of got into alcohol, I got in a little trouble with the law here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, now they've decided they don't want me in there, you know, to taint the prison population. So I was denied access to uh, prisons up here in uh, mm-hmm. Seattle, Washington, where I'm located. So wow. that was kind of a kind of a weird thing, you know. You know, we've been wow, even worried about having you on this show, but uh, it was a judgment call, but we had you on anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the high standards we set here. Now, pagans, we'll, we'll have them all the time on, on Future Quake. No problem. <laughs> well, you know, even the, the state of Washington up here doesn't want me near their prisoners. Mm-hmm. So I am apparently, uh, you know, a bad seed, so to speak. But at least <laughs> but they would anyway, take somebody like Johnny the Longshoreman, yeah. right? Keep this guy away from our prisoners, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that's what uh, Paul said. He says, "Man, I can't believe that I want you to taint the prisoner population." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was uh, kind of where it all started. Um, and then from there, you know, it wasn't. My gosh, it's funny how the Lord works. You know, uh, it wasn't but a few weeks of these rambling, you know, conversations between you and and, and Johnny the Longshoreman and me and Johnny and Johnny and Paul and Johnny and I and. All of a sudden, this, this testimony comes out, which you know Tom actually spoke about a couple weeks ago, kind of becoming famous in our circles, the Victor's testimony. And, uh, you know, essentially, he his testimony is just amazing. You know, he, he uh, all I can say is it's amazing, and you have to listen to it. Um, he, but he talks about going out and serving people and, and how to do it. He talks about prison ministry. He talks about... You know, just really getting out there for the Lord and putting yourself out there and not being scared and just and just doing it and not making it a big deal and building it up in your head, but really getting out there and doing it. So um, I, I was so motivated from that, I just had to try and figure out something to do, right? Yeah. So I guess the next question is, like, so what did you do? <laughs> well, <laughs> thanks, Tom. Well, <laughs> I hope you could understand thanks, that Tom. question. Yeah. <laughs> um, from there, what happened? About a couple weeks ago, I was uh, went to church on Sunday, had a had a good service, came home, and was just feeling kind of strange, you know, feeling like you know uh, maybe something was going on, and uh, decided to you know maybe it was just a bit of uncooked potato. I'm not sure. Yeah. Right. But, I went <laughs> went ahead and uh, turned on the the, the the television and got on or Netflix or whatever and uh, found a Frontline documentary. And the Frontline documentary, you know, it's one of those documentaries that's on the PBS or whatever. And it ends up being about the mentally ill in the prison system. And I'm thinking to myself, like, man, you know, I really wanted to get into the prison systems. It's heavy on my heart. Here's this documentary about the mentally ill and how, you know, they are. Uh, there's no there's no mental hospitals anymore. Mm-hmm. So uh, that mainly that's where we're housing our you know our uh, how do I say uh, mentally ill. Right. You know they're being housed in a in a in prisons now. Right. There's no hospital. I'm not saying a state run hospital is the answer, but it's just, it's true that there's not hardly any of them anymore. So um, what it basically does is it goes through and it shows you these people and, and certain ones really stuck out to me. One of them actually said he was asked. You know, if he thought he was crazy. And he said, absolutely not. He said, I'm not crazy. I have a spiritual affliction. And uh, I I agree mm-hmm. with him, like, out loud at the moment. I was like, I agree you have a spiritual affliction. You know, he had this, right. this propensity 
to, to continue to hurt himself. I mean, he kept doing it, and it ended, ended up in jail. Anyway, this uh, this documentary moves through and uh, essentially gets in touch with about four or five people and shows you their story. And then at the end, it does like a wrap up and talks about you know where are they now? Yeah. Every single person was back in jail. They would they would get out of jail and sometimes for as little as weeks would be right back in it. From a, a long, you know, from a seven-year prison sentence to a couple months in jail, yeah. they would be back within weeks or months, and they're headed right back to jail. And they're, you know, and they, what happens is when you get out, when you've served your full time, when you haven't been paroled, there's no probation officer, there's no monitoring system. Mm-hmm. So now you have this person who's getting out, who probably needs to be on some sort of medication, right. has no way to contact some a doctor to get himself on medication. You know, he has about ten days worth. But 10 days worth sending a person who's mentally ill, 10 days worth of medication out onto the streets and then expecting them to get in contact with a doctor, to find a home, to, to get their prescription renewed, to, uh, you know, these are people who immediately get out and want to go celebrate being, from, you know, out of jail. Mm-hmm. So it's just Well, a, and they're also probably under some trauma, the cultural change. You know, they've been in there for some time. They've suddenly got to make decisions on their own and figure out where to get food and they don't have work. Mm-hmm. It's just like probably pretty overwhelming, I would think. I had a and depressing. I had a friend actually who uh, spent eight and a half years in maximum security prison, and uh, wow. you know we we played music together, and I asked him mm-hmm. about that, and it, certainly you know a lot of stories about spiritual stuff in 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 there and dark spirituality and all this stuff. But one of the things he said is, man, once I got out, the world was so lonely. Yeah, it was scary, man. I got I I got lost. I got lost walking down an alley that I had walked down for 32 years of my life, and I, I got there and I didn't know where I was until I got to the other side, and then I realized the town had totally changed and yeah. left me behind. Yeah, you know, feel like a ghost. Yeah, he said he was he was like three blocks from his house when that happened. Wow. So. Wow. Okay, so you decided to do something, right? What yes, What yes, did you I was, do? I was I was, I was uh, just you know kind of torn up about this and I'm, I'm all of a sudden I just felt like I need to get up and go feed some homeless people and so I, I, I just you know got up and thought okay here, uh, here we go Lord I said I'm gonna you know get in contact with a couple people and uh, I, I would love for one of them to go with me Lord but if you don't want you know one of them to go with me don't have them come and I'm gonna go anyway yeah you know so I just, you know, just got up and just got in the car and started. I mean, I didn't really have a plan at all, and uh, went to a grocery outlet. In the, you know, I ended up getting, gosh, I got like 24 protein bars and 22 bags of chips and 12 pack of crackers, and I think uh, 24 case, like a case of uh, bottled water. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got all that for about 26 dollars. <laughs> okay. And I thought, wow, you know, if I can feed, you know, at least a, a one meal or even a snack for 24 people, you know, that's pretty pretty decent use of my $26. Right. So I, uh, you know, came out, with, was getting ready to head downtown, and, and I got a, a call back from uh, one of the people I had contacted earlier, Ben. And, uh, you know, I Ben had no idea what was in store for him, but, you know, he gets on the phone. I was like, what are you doing? And he says, oh, you know, I'm day off. I was hanging out. And I was like, well, I'm going to go downtown to feed the homeless. Do you want to come? And uh, he's a listener to the Tim and Mike show. We've been friends for a couple of years. And, uh, yeah, it's just been a cool opportunity to kind of mm-hmm. watch him, you know, progress through, you know, things of a spiritual nature. And uh, 
he, he kind of hesitated. He said, uh, yeah, I'll go, you know. So yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool, man. I'll stop by and grab you, you know. So headed over there, grabbed him, and, and then went downtown. And, uh, yeah, um, we, we just got down there, and we unwrapped the food, you know, on, to open up all the packages or whatever, and started stuffing my backpack full of them. And, and he took a big bag and, and got them. And we went to this park, and we, we got out. We're just excited. We're like, man, I'm just like, man, I'm gonna, you know, I'm ready. Like, let's just let's do this, you know. So we get out and we start getting ready to try and give people food. And uh, for some reason, you know, I don't, I don't know why, uh, it was very awkward. Something about the situation was very awkward. I don't know if it was because there was homeless people mixed with people who probably weren't homeless, and it yeah. was like, hard to get to guess who was and who wasn't, or. You know, I don't know what it was, but it was really awkward and, and very hard. You mean awkward like fact, in starting your own uh, Christian radio show? <laughs> yeah, it, it was yeah. it was awkward like that. Because <laughs> I'm thinking it must be uh, something about us kind of guys that look for that kind of stuff, you know? It, it's part <laughs> of the excitement of doing something out on the edge of what the Lord's doing, and but that's where the real action is, is Amen. when you do that. You know, I think... Yeah. I think it was Chuck Missler, uh, somebody I greatly look up to, who said uh, that uh, Christianity, when, you, when we come to Christ, that's not the end of the adventure. The, that's the beginning of the adventure. The adventure starts when you try to figure out where he wants you yeah. and start following him. Yeah. Well, I was just hoping doing a radio show prepared you to work through the awkward side. <laughs> and you know what, what Hegel says, that which does not kill you makes you stronger. So every time you sort of get through one of those awkward phases... Uh, it, it makes you that much more emboldened, you know, to sort of work through that phase. And evidently you did. Exactly, exactly. Um, we, we actually kind of loaded up, tail between our legs, so to speak, and uh, loaded up and just got in the car and decided to head to a different area and uh, <laughs> pulled up to another park right there in downtown Seattle. And uh, as we pulled up, I realized that there's a sheriff, you know, a sheriff car with two sheriffs sitting in it monitoring the people in this park and like really really watching them like giving them the evil eye you know like what you know really you know i don't know what was going on or whatever but i looked at ben and kind of smiled i said we're here <laughs> this is this is where we probably should be right so we hopped out and uh it was uh, the whole park was filled with probably i don't know 10 or 20 homeless people or so and uh, so we just got out and uh you know it was still awkward but we just walked up to a, a person and, and said hey you know do you want some are you hungry you know, do you want some food? And we just started giving them food and, and uh, yeah, just handing stuff out. And it, it became a lot less awkward, to, you know, really quick. You know, as we started to hand out to everybody, it became much, much more, much easier, you know. And, and then people see that you're handing out, you know, food to other people. And, you know, then when they come, when you come up to them, they're, they're just, you know, they know what to expect. And it, mm -hmm. I think a lot of things were playing a role in that. So, um right. You know, we didn't do a lot of uh, ministering there. You know, I think we said a few, you know, God loves you. And yeah. I think I might have, I might have said, uh, you know, um, uh, this is only temporary. You know, this this life is only temporary. You know, just, God loves you. Here you go, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, when I, My pastor, when I was a kid, told, you know, taught uh, our, our congregation to say, um, this is a practical demonstration of God's love for you. Right. I've 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 liked to do that. That's a, that's sure. a good one. That's a good. One. So, 
from there, we, we probably offloaded almost a third of our stuff. And uh, we went back to the car, and we were, like, excited, like like little kids. Like, wow, this is really cool. We're <laughs> excited. Like, what are we going to do now? And so we, we, we reload up our bag and stuff from the back of the car and, uh, you know, just moved on from there. Um, we decided to leave the car there and just walk. You know, that was Ben's idea, and I think that was a, a really cool, cool idea. And uh, we walked down the uh, down the block a little bit, and we found this guy across the way in, in a wheelchair. And okay. uh, he also had an oxygen machine hooked up to him. So <clears throat> we just, you know, we just walked up to him. I asked him, hey, how, how's it going? You know, how are you doing? He told us his name was Jerome and that he had uh, osteoporosis, you know, and he starts telling me this story about, you know, he's on all these medications and these medications are, you know, making his lungs or sinuses flare up and it's having him have a hard time breathing. So he has to take another medication and just this this uh, plethora of, of issues that are going on with him. And so, you know, after we'd already given him some food, this is when he's telling us this. And so I just felt the need. I just said, hey, you know, do you mind if we pray with you? He said, he said, sure, sure, that'd be great. And so we just, you know, just sat there and I just prayed with him. You know, I laid my hand on him and we just sat there and prayed. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't even really tell you what I said or what the prayer was, but I just remember that afterwards, you know, I just kind of cried out to the Lord about, you know, healing him here. Right. And uh, I just remember afterwards when we got done, um, we looked up, or he looked up at us, and his face had physically changed. Like, he didn't seem to be in pain. He seemed a little bit more open. Like, he seemed just, you know, his eyes kind of lit up, and he just, like, looked like, really grateful. Yeah. And it was very, very... Uh, kind of, you know, moving. So, you know, I, we we said our goodbyes. Said, you know, you know, we we pray for him, and, and we said, you know, goodbye, and we started heading down the street. And Ben like kind of leaned over to me, and he just said, "That was awesome." And I was like, "Yeah, man, that was really cool." So that was it. From there on, we're just like on fire, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. like ready yeah. for anything. We're we're just moving along, like okay, yeah. you know, there is a reason to be down here. There is something going on. The Lord you let know. you know He was there with you. He gave you Amen. He was hanging out with you. Yeah. Amen. So from there, we felt emboldened, and we're, and we're just uh, you know headed out and, and just engaging anybody. You know, it's pretty easy. Just hey, how's it going? How, how are you doing? You know, do you need anything? What can we do? You know, uh, it's not it's not too hard. You know, it's just it's simple. I think I made it too hard, and, and I was waiting for uh, for an, an invitation to fall from heaven. To, you know, to, to figure out how to get out there <laughs> and do stuff. So. Uh, we're headed down the road. We found, we found one gentleman, and we offered him some food, and he, he looked at us, and we, we handed him food. He was grateful, and he said, what, are you guys Christians or something? <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, we are, man. He's like, oh, okay. He said, will you, will you pray with me? Will you pray for me? And I said, sure. So what do you want us to pray for? He said, man, just for forgiveness and improvement. I need improvement. And I was just like, man, I totally understand what you mean. I need a lot of improvement, too, you know. Mm-hmm. So we, we sat there and prayed with him for that, and uh, he, you know, he seemed grateful. It was, he was kind of funny. He was a little bit more of a of a tough guy, and uh, yeah. I think he was he was feeling a little bit uncomfortable towards the end of the prayers because he didn't want everybody to see him that he was praying with us. But you know, his heart was in the right place. He was a he was a genuine a genuine guy. We understand and, uh, people always get uncomfortable when they're seen with Tom and I too. Yeah, <laughs> we go places. They also get uncomfortable, so I can relate. Right. 
I, I can imagine. I've, I've only spoke to you guys briefly, and, and, it, and, it, and it sometimes it's, it's embarrassing to, to be heard. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, brother. <laughs> and now we've got the anyway. now we've got the the now we've got the people coming on here getting yeah, interacting. Yeah, funny, that's not right on. That's, I get enough of that from Mrs. Future. I don't need yeah, that from he's you. Getting it from all sides. Yeah. Here. Okay. So you prayed, prayed with this gentleman. We prayed, we prayed with them, and then we moved on. Um, encountered a couple more people in uh, really, you know, kind of the opposite side of the spectrum from our buddy Jerome. Uh, some people that were physically visibly disturbed yeah and uh one one of which uh we, we we tried to talk to and uh really gosh just the spiritual wall was just thrown up in our face and i kind of sat there like a duck in, or a duck <laughs> like a like a like a deer in headlights I, I realized what was going on but i didn't know like what to do you know i hadn't engaged somebody who was you know more or less you know well, my guess would be possessed. Uh, he said right. some really obnoxious, really dirty things to us, and it was just out of nowhere, you know. And so we kind of moved on from that. We tried to pray with him. We tried to pray. It was just I don't know. We, you know, I feel like we kind of messed up there. We we didn't really, you know, do our, our due diligence the best we could there. Ran into another gal who uh, uh, talked to us, but she uh, she seemed to have a, some sort of a same affliction. Got really up in my face and, and kind of mad after we gave her the food yeah. and told me not to look at her like that, and, and uh, we left and, and told her, you know, God bless and stuff, and we got down the road and we heard her, like, screaming, and oh, it's just kind of, mm-hmm. kind of a, I don't know, it was just kind of eye-opening to see, yeah. and uh, at the same time, it, it gave us something to kind of aim for, to be able to know that, hey, this is something that's going to happen, maybe next time one of us should fast or something like that, you know? Right. So, and it may be unavoidable. Uh, when people aren't ready and they encounter, you know, God through somebody else, it's usually going to be one of those two reactions. It's going to be, you know, something where they feel like they have a need, or it's going to be they're repulsed by it. So, I, to me, even though it's sad to see, it's still yet another sign that God was indwelling within you while you were doing it. Sure, sure. I hadn't thought of it like that. Yeah, it, it, it would be indifference otherwise. Right, right. Yeah, I'd just be like, yeah, I don't, yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. So from there we uh headed up the road and uh and uh found a found a uh, another guy in a wheelchair sitting sitting on the side of the road and on the sidewalk and he had a guy sitting right next to him. And uh I what we walked up and Ben started talking to the guy in the wheelchair and I started talking to the guy on the sidewalk next to him. And I started asking him if he was hungry and if he needed anything and we you know, we gave him some food and whatnot. And uh he starts uh asking me he said are you a christian and i said yeah yeah i am he says you read the word and i said yeah sure sure i do and he starts he starts quoting the bible verses at me okay mm-hmm. and he is this is a this is a, a totally homeless guy next to a totally <laughs> more homeless guy uh, right next to him on the sidewalk uh just quoting bible verses to me he starts telling me all kinds of verses i said wow man you know the word well he says yeah he says you know i've read the bible the front to back five times you know and here's this guy on the side of the road, you know, homeless, smell, smelling like alcohol even, and he starts ministering almost to me. I mean, he really kind of touched me, and I'm just like, wow. So I just like sat down on the, on the, on the sidewalk right next to him and just, you know, started listening to him, you know, and just hearing what he had to say, and, and I would add some things here and there. And, you know, he talked about praying for, uh, for his day and then praying for, you know, forgiveness and, and for the Lord to walk with him and, you know, to, 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 
to stand strong against temptation and all these things. And I just thought to myself, this guy has got so much faith. You know, if I was in this situation, I don't know if I'd be, you know, as as strong as he mm-hmm. seems to be. And just, you know, anyway, um, you know, we sat there and, and talked, and, and, and I, he, he asked me a question. He said, uh, he said, this is a good question. He said, what verse are you living? I said, what? He said, you're a Christian, right? And I said, yeah. He said, well, everybody should be concentrating, thinking about a verse and trying to live it. What verse are you living, Tim? And I thought to myself, okay, uh, John 15, abide in me and I will abide in you. And he says, that's a good one. That's a really good one. He mm-hmm. says, you know what? I want to tell you something. I said, what? He says, you're a real Christian. He says, because nobody else is over here on the side of the road stopping and talking to me. You have made my day extremely bright. He says, you're a real Christian sitting on the side of the road with me. And I thought, wow, this is probably the greatest compliment that I've ever been given. You know? Yeah. And, uh, well, you know, it's wow. also possible that, that one of these people, you could have been entertaining an angel unawares. You know, uh, kind of Dr. a grimy Peter, angel, I, but, you know. Yeah, <laughs> nevertheless. <laughs> Yeah, they didn't you know, get the good I, duty that week, yeah, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've considered that. I actually mentioned that when I had told this story on my show. I, I think that, you know, maybe that maybe that was what was going on there. Mm-hmm. You know, but one of the things that was interesting is that a couple of days ago I was thinking about that comment, you know, where he says, you're a real Christian. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm pretty special. I'm, I'm a real Christian. You know, I started thinking about his comment. But he said to me, and, and the Lord kind of laid something in my heart, and that was uh, that was the first time anyone had ever said that to me. Yeah, hmm. yeah. It was the first time I actually got out and did something. You know, if I was, you know, to really puff myself up, you know, I should be hearing that <laughs> <Yeah>. a lot. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Anyway, one of the other things that was interesting was, uh, uh, I don't, you know, it was kind of coming to the realization when I was standing there, or you know, sitting there next to Emerald, as he's telling me verse by verse through the Bible and talking about his favorite parts. You know, Jesus was homeless. You know, we go to church every every week, and we, you know, worship and pray to mm-hmm. a, a man who has come on behalf of us who didn't have a home. Yeah. And then we leave and we go back to our homes, and we ignore the people who are on the streets who, are, who don't have a home. Or like him. You know, he said, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Foxes have, ne- have mm-hmm. holes and birds have nests, right? Right. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And so we're worshiping a guy who was homeless during his time here, you know, during his ministry. And, and yet we're we're looking, I, I'll just say me, not we. I'm looking past him. I have looked past him until, you know, recently. So, um, you know, uh, one of the things Emerald said then, he says, you know, can I have a Bible? And he said, I said, what? And he said, can I have a Bible? Somebody stole mine. And at this point, this is our first time, you know, at this point we're starting to realize, like, we need Bibles. Like, right, right. why didn't, why didn't somebody think of this? We need to get, we need to go get a Bible. We need to get yeah. Bibles. And I was like, you need a Bible, man? And he said, yeah. I said, I will go get you a Bible. He said, really? I said, yes, I'll, I'll go get one. You stay, if you stay here, I will come back and I will bring you a Bible. Yeah. He said, okay, okay, you know, so we hopped in the car and it was 9.30 on a Sunday night right before the 4th of July and everything was closed. It, it, we couldn't get, a, I couldn't get a Bible. So I ended up having to drive almost five or ten miles round trip to get this Bible, and you know we got one and, and headed back. And by the time we got there, Emerald was gone. Him and his him and his buddy had moved on. Yeah. And I was I was a little disappointed, but my 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 buddy Ben looked over at me and he said, "We'll give it to him next time." Yeah. And I thought I thought, wow, it's, you know, 
Ben is, is excited about this too because he's ready to come down here again. So Ben and I just started to walk back to our car to, uh, to you know, to, to leave, head, head home. And it was then that I realized that Ben and I were joyous, like mm-hmm. happy, like really joyous, like right. excited. Because I think it was just because the Lord had, you know, we had got out there and done something and the Lord had worked through us. And it was just a, a humbling feeling, you know. We felt really, really joyous. Mm-hmm. So um, just this past Sunday, just uh, two, three days ago, um, Ben and I had planned to go uh, downtown again on, a, on Sunday night and, and, and see the homeless again. Well, it turned out Ben had to work. He got his shift mixed around, and he had to work. And I had kind of been planning this and praying about it and thinking about it. And uh, so I contacted another friend of mine and see if he could go, and, and he ended up not being able to go either. So, um, you know, I went to uh, went to church that morning, came home, and was just kind of feeling down. Like, you know, I, I thought I was yeah. going to go, and, and now I don't know what's going on. What's 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 the deal here? So you should have watched Frontline after church. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Diane a big spiritual show. Yeah, lifted you up. That's a, that's a good point. That's exactly what yeah. I should have done. Maybe even the same episode. So, so uh, yeah, for some reason, though, all day on Sunday, I was just feeling like, man, you know, I just felt bad. You know, mm-hmm. weird. Just felt bad. Just felt like, you know, something was going on. You know, yeah. felt wrong spiritually all day. Just couldn't really, you know, my prayers, were, would, I would trail off. And I just couldn't couldn't seem to get in touch with the Lord. It just kind of had a had a hard day, you know? Yeah. And uh, at one point I was sitting there and I realized, like, okay. And I said a prayer. I said, Lord, you know, if you want me to go do this, I'm, I'm reading this book. When I finish this book, if nobody's called, nobody's going to come with me, you know, I'll go anyway. I'll just mm-hmm. go. You know, if that's what you want, I'll just go by myself. Here we yeah. go. And uh, I finished up this book I was reading, and sure enough, there was nobody calling or, or anything. And I was just like, all right, you know, here we go. And I said, well, on second thought, I'm not going to go alone. I'll bring my dog. I'm a, I'm a, I'm mm-hmm. a dog man. I, I, I think yeah. uh, I love dogs. So yeah. I was like, so I'll just bring, bring the dog with me. Headed out, went back to the same store, grocery outlet, went and racked up a bunch of stuff, put it all in the, in the cart, headed up towards the front, and uh, was, was getting ready to ring out and, uh, uh, you know, slid my cart or whatever. And uh, uh, the, the uh, cashier said to me, she says, uh, your, your cart has declined. You know, you have you have insufficient funds, and I and I and I thought back, and I actually came home later and checked this, and uh, it's due to some contradictory facts in my bookkeeping. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that even happens at university sometimes. <laughs> so, so I re- I realized that. So anyway, I didn't realize it then, but I'm just like I cannot believe this, and I'm just like sitting there, and the food is just you know there in the bag mm-hmm. on this counter, and I'm just like I, I turn and walk away. And head back out to my car, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, man, I am really failing it up today. Like, I have just done nothing right. And then I started to think, like, wait a second. Either that or somebody doesn't want me to go downtown tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. maybe it's spiritual. So I said, you know, forget this. You I'll know what? There anyway. you, you, you may have been having some ministry withdrawals. That may have been why you were a, a bump, you know, feeling bummed out. It was because you, you had gotten in your heart the joy of ministry. And that when something was standing in the way temporarily, you, you were having withdrawal, you know, symptoms of the high of serving the Lord. Wow, I never thought of it that way. Which is an okay addiction to have, by the way. It's cheaper than crack, I guess. that's for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And you don't get like those real black teeth that yeah, rot out and stuff. Yeah, you don't die when you're like 20. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so so what happened now? Bring us around third base to home here with what happened. So I, I just said, for, you know, I'm going. Forget it. You know, I'm going downtown anyway. Okay. And I, I look in my trunk, and I and I had a an old a sweatshirt that I was going to take to Goodwill and a, and a hat. And, of course, I had that Bible that I was going to give Emerald. Mm-hmm. And that Bible got me thinking, like, well, you know, one thing at least can be accomplished. I'll go downtown and find Emerald. Yeah. Give him this Bible, you know. So I just uh, headed downtown and was uh, uh, driving around, just looking for Emerald. Couldn't couldn't find him. Mm-hmm. He's uh, kind of a kind of a plain looking man, and I just couldn't you know seem yeah. to find him. And I was just kind of feeling down still and kind of frustrated, like nothing is going right. And then this guy named Tom Bionic called me on the phone, oh. and I thought now my day's got even worse. <laughs> um, <laughs> Talk about ministry need. Yeah, <laughs> Tom Bionic. No. He, he calls and tells me about his day. That's how I'm doing. I explain it to him, and and uh, he's just you know moved to pray. And so we decide to sit there and pray. And I I you know pull over to to, to have a, a word with Tom in this park downtown. And and uh you know I, as as I'm talking to Tom, I realize that I think Emerald is in front of me. He's about a hundred feet in front of me, sitting wow. under this tree. And I'm thinking, well, this is great. You know, things are really turning around. And Tom's ready to pray for me. So here we go. You know, so we're yeah. we're in prayer. And he was there the whole time that, you know, Tom was praying, and then I bowed my head to, to say a prayer as well. And I look up and, and say goodbye to Tom and told him thank you, you know, and, and yeah. we kind of prayed about the situation. And uh, I look up, and Emerald was gone. In the time that it took me to yeah. say a quick prayer with Tom, Emerald was gone. I thought, here we go. You know, it's a, yet another thing is yeah. going on. Like, this is just the, the strangest day. Yeah. So I got out of the car, got my dog out, you know, grabbed the extra Bible and my little prayer book, and uh, just walked over. There was a there was a gal who was sitting next to the tree, you know, where Emerald had just been. And I just walked over and I said, you know, where Emerald go? You know, I didn't even know if, they, mm-hmm. if it was really him, you know. And she said, well, I think he just went down the hill. And I thought, oh great, you know, at least at least I know it's him. So we're, I'm, I'm on the scent, and, or I'm on the trail anyway. Mm-hmm. So she said, he just went down the hill, you know, just head down that way. You might be able to catch him. I just saw him. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So grab the dog, and the dog's just happy as can be. You know, we're walking down the, the hill, and there's a lot of hills in Seattle, and down the hill is not very descriptive. So right. I'm totally lost. I don't know. You know, I'm headed down the, the hill the direction she pointed in, but I can't seem to to, to see Emerald or, or, or find him or, you know, stop a few places. And I ended up down in the Pioneer Square. It's one of these places downtown. And, uh was just walking around kind of aimlessly with my dog, like, you know, like, where in the heck is this guy? You know, what am I supposed to be doing mm-hmm. here? Um, right about then, this, this guy kind of looks up and, and kind of makes eye contact with me, kind of waves, like, at my dog. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, okay. I said, uh, you know, you like dogs? He says, sure. He says, sure, man, I really love dogs. And this guy was, you know, I'm 30 years old. He was roughly the same mm-hmm. age. Uh, looked like he was just mini. You know, he wasn't super dirty, but he looked yeah. like, you know, he was homeless. He was homeless, a little bit torn up and, mm-hmm. and stuff. And uh, he starts uh, petting my dog. And that was one of the interesting things when I realized my dog doesn't know or care if people are yeah. homeless. Yeah. <laughs> my dog is just there to say, yeah. hey, hi, how's it going? And that was, you know, that was kind of cool. It was something I was like, man, I could learn from my dog in this scenario, you know? Yeah. Your dog's not figuring out what social class the person needs to be. Categorized. Amen. Yeah. Amen. 
she's just going up and saying hi, and, and this is a person, and maybe he'll pet me, you know, not not classifying him, and that's exactly mm-hmm. what I had been doing. And so anyway, I uh, I asked him. I said, "Man, how's it going? You know, is, can, is there anything you need?" And he says, "He says, well, no, you know, I'm." He tells me the story about how he has a home and this and this and that, and you know, I'm fairly sure that he wasn't telling the truth there. And uh, then he said some things about. Um, uh, or I asked him, I said, well, is there anything I can get for you? Is there anything? He's like, well, you know, if you got some change, I could really use some change. And I just like, you know, just kind of like smiled and thought like, you know, here we go again. I don't have any change. <laughs> you know, and I look at him and I said, yeah. I'm sorry, man. I absolutely don't even have any change on me. And he said, oh, okay. And he said, um, I really just need someone to talk to. I just like well, I just like kind of smiled, yeah. almost looked up at the Lord, like, "Well, what a coincidence! That's all I have." <laughs> you know, so right. I didn't say that, so I sat down and mm. said, "Okay, you know, let's, you know, how's it going?" And uh, we started talking, and uh, you know, he, he's talking about how he's always anxious. You know, he's got a bit of social anxiety, and it's just been hounding him his whole life. And I, you know, talked a little bit about his childhood and how he's really just, you know never really, you know, recovered from some of the things that happened as a child. And, uh, you know, uh, when he starts talking, he starts saying that he fears dying alone. It's one of the things he really fears. He fears dying alone and not having any friends. I'm just thinking, man, you know, Lord, thank you for for, for leading me this, man, but now I'm going to need some help. Like, I don't know what to say. You right. know, this, is, this is pretty intense. And, uh he also, you know, talked about how he wonders why he was so unhappy, but everyone else seems happy. And he told me, he says, you know, I meet people, you know, and we talk and stuff, and then and everything is cool, and they're happy, and I'm happy. He said, but then I leave, he said, and I'm not happy anymore, and I, and I think that they're still happy. And I said, I kind of laughed, like I smiled, and I looked at him, and I said, uh, you know, his name is Lowe. He told me his name, Lowe. I said, Lo, I said, I have news for you. I said, um, you, you, those people, when, when they leave and they, and they go out on their own, I said, they're not happy. Mm-hmm. He said, what? He, he said, what? I said, they're not happy. You know, um, they're not, they're ignoring that they're unhappy and they're filling it with all these cars and all the stuff and this stuff and those people around us and stuff. And I was able to kind of point out some things. I said, they're filling their unhappiness with those things. I said, but the difference between you and them is that you're honest with yourself. And he said, he said, oh, wait a second. He says, that's right, isn't it? I said, it is. It is right. And uh, I asked him, I said, do you believe in God? And he says, uh, he says, yeah. He says, yeah, you know, I, I, I do. I said, okay. I said, when's the last time you spoke to him? And he said, well, you know, it was uh, a couple weeks ago. I was. Everything was going right, and I had a good lunch, and, uh, you know, God was there. And I said, God, God was there, huh? You know, he said, yeah, eternal bliss. But, you know, God was there, eternal bliss. And I said, oh, I said, oh, I said, eternal bliss. I said, what is that? That's what God is? And he said, yeah, yeah. And I said, okay. And I didn't know what to say at this point. I'm like, yeah. uh, I don't know how to, like, tell him, like, you're totally wrong. And you, have to, <laughs> yeah. you know, you have to look at this Bible verse and this Bible verse. And right. So I'm not, you know. So he says, uh, he says, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> he says, maybe I'm wrong. And I'm, I'm praying, like, Lord, help me. I don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. He says, maybe that's not what God is. And, and he said, I'm not real sure 
said, that is what God is. He says, yeah. He said, you know, somebody gave me a Bible the other day. And I said, really? He goes, yeah. He said, I was like, so you know about Jesus then? He said, yeah. I said, do you believe in Jesus? He said, yeah. I said, you, you know about asking for forgiveness of your sins and stuff? And he said, yeah. And I said, you know, do you want to do that? And he's like, oh, I've already done that. I said, really? Hmm. He said, yeah. I said, okay. I said, um, he said, you know, I just, I just get so anxious even after I, even after I prayed that, I, I still get yeah. really anxious. And I, I said, okay. I said, have you ever thought about praying for your anxiety? Yeah. He said, he said, no. How would I do that? <laughs> and I, I said, well, I said, do you just say, Lord Jesus, you know, fill me with your Holy Spirit and uh, help me with my anxiety. He's like, like right, he starts saying it. He says, Lord Jesus, and he stops, he looks at me, he says, hey, do I have to close my eyes? I said, you don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to do, you don't yeah. have to do anything. I said, you can, you can do whatever. Yeah. We don't have so to do any of the kind of like foolishness you do in church. You don't have to have any of the superficial facade stuff. We can be real exactly. with God. We can be real with God out here on the street. You know, nobody's watching. Amen. Amen. That's, that's right. I think that's why I like it because it's real. You know, yeah. there's no, right. there's, there's no, there's no fluff. There's no, you mm-hmm. know, extra. So he, he actually says, he says a prayer right there. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me with my anxiety. And he stopped and breathed deep. He said, Oh, I feel good. He says, Do I have to let go of all my thoughts? I was like, I don't know, you don't have to let go of your thoughts, you know, just just be honest, you know, when you're praying that prayer. And he says, Man, and this is this is this broke my heart. He says, You know, I, I still I'm still worried about my anxiety, you know, and I'm still worried about uh you know, where where I'm gonna find food and and, and whatnot. And uh, he says, But you know, and I'm still worried about being unhappy. He says, But I'm I'm no longer afraid of dying alone because now I have a friend. Thank God. Wow. I'm just I'm just thinking to myself, like, oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, you know, this is amazing. You know, I can't believe that, that you know, all these things happened and here I am talking to this, this guy. And so I, I gave him my, my name and my phone number, I wrote it down and I said, Well if we're gonna be friends, you know, you gotta be able to get a hold of me and, and here's here's my contact info. And uh I you know, we just bowed our heads and said a prayer. He put his hand in, in my hand and, and we just sat there and prayed, prayed for his anxiety, prayed for him to you know to be forgiven to come to a, a repentance mm-hmm. you know heart of repentance and to be forgiven and and uh, just you know prayed for for help but the poor guy just needs some help he's just kind right. of beating himself up and it's something I'm familiar with you know beating yourself up is something I also mm-hmm. struggle with so it was a you know really perfect ministry opportunity for me yeah. so I you know I we said our, our goodbyes and parted ways and I, I headed back up the hill to my car. And on my way up the hill, it's when I really started to realize that, you know, I was like, you know, thrilled. I'm just like, wow, this is unbelievable. And that was when I really started to realize, like, man, God had been guiding me all day. You know, this, yeah. is, this, was, this was not a, a series of uh, coincidences. And so I'm headed back up the hill, and I thought to myself, well, Lord, you know, if you're really guiding me, I bet Emerald's sitting underneath the tree. You know, I bet he's up here. I bet I'll be able to find him. And, of course, I get up to the top of the hill, and there's Emerald sitting underneath the tree talking I to see. a gal. <laughs> and I thought, wow, wow. So I went over and I, I had the Bible in my hand. I had taken it, you know, with me. And, and I, I walked up and Emerald said, are we going to talk about James chapter 3? <laughs> I said, what? He said, the tongue. He said, the smallest, you know, organ yeah. in the body but causes the most destruction. Are we going to talk about James chapter 3? I said, if you want, Emerald. You know, I went yeah. up and yeah. 
sat down in my in the grass with him and I, I asked him how to spell his name and, and sat there and, and wrote his name in the front of the Bible, said from Tim and wrote my phone number down at the bottom of it and you know, said, you know, this is this is how you get a hold of me if you ever need anything. And uh I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, okay, everything's worked out pretty perfect so far, except for this one more I was like, Do you happen to need a sweatshirt? And he was like, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was actually really cold a couple nights ago, and I could use a sweatshirt, and I was like, well, I have a hat, too, and brought him a sweatshirt and a hat, and it was just, wow. I mean, you talk about just knocking off each domino, yeah. but I knew that it wasn't me that had done any of this. You right. know, it wasn't me at all. This was the Lord. And uh, One of the things anyway, he didn't ask for, it sounds like, is the is the food that you had to leave back at the counter. That's right. He actually had a... <laughs> it's interesting you bring that up. He was already eating. Yeah. <laughs> So the Lord didn't need to make sure you walked out with that. He just had to make sure that that sweatshirt and hat and Bible were in your car. That's right. That's right. And they were already there when I went to the store. Yeah. So Emerald Emerald says, "Let me pray with you." And he he, he put, you know wraps his hands around mine and just starts praying. And man, <laughs> it was a powerful prayer. You know, it wasn't one yeah. of these long-winded orations that you sometimes hear in churches. Yeah. It was a powerful prayer. Lord, thank you for sending this man to me. Lord, thank you for sending me a Bible, Lord. Ask and you shall receive, Lord. Thank you for doing this. Bless this, this, this man and his family and his dog. And I mean, it was just great. It was just great. And, uh, you know, that was, you know, that was it. We, we, we hugged each other. I told him I was planning on coming back down in a few days and, uh, got up and left and, uh, you know, called Tom Bionic and proceeded to explain to him all the things that just happened after our prayer. And uh, here I am on the Future Click show. <laughs> you know, there's so many things that are going through my mind of all the steps of what happened. But um, to me, what this paints a picture of is that when you choose to live a lifestyle in serving the Lord, where you anticipate hearing from him and you totally turn yourself over, to doing something and you're not self-conscious about your training or or if you're going to make a fool of yourself or do something people don't understand. If you push all that out of your mind and you just say, I'm making myself available if the Lord opens the door and I'm opening my eyes to somebody who needs something. If that happens, then you're going to have quite an adventuresome life. And what you will see more than the average Christian is... You will, you will personally witness, like you did then, that the Lord is active on a regular basis and in a tangible, visible way with those of his children who choose to abide in him. If they're about the Lord's work, if they choose to make a lifestyle doing the Lord's work, then they will automatically see, routinely, the Lord's hand doing stuff in their life. Amen. Amen. It's... Uh... Like like Chuck Missler said, it's the adventure doesn't start or it doesn't stop once you right. come to the Lord. That's when it starts. Right. And, and I'm thinking too, if you're like most of our listeners and us and everybody else, whether you do a show like what like you or us do or some other kind of service or whatever, and you still battle depression sometimes and feeling mm-hmm. alone and separate or whatever, mm-hmm. it's a really hard time to be able to get depressed when you're doing that kind of stuff, isn't it? Wow, you know, I felt joyful when we left on the, the with 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 Brother Ben, and then I felt joyful again that, on that Sunday. I mean, I called Tom, and we were like through the roof happy. We're just like, yeah. we could just feel it, you know. And and it's it's not like a it's a different kind of happy, you know. It's not like you know I I just you know I just did all this stuff. It's so mm-hmm. awesome because I didn't do it. It's it's like the Lord is using me, you know. That's the thing yeah. that you know Peter, you know 
Peter and them would, uh, you know, celebrate that they, that they were worthy to be, you know, punished in the name of the Lord or worthy to be, you know, persecuted in the name of the Lord. Well, here we are worthy to be used, uh, you know, and, and that's just, man, you can't ask for anything more than that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's when you really click on, you know, people talk about purpose-driven and what's your purpose in life. That's what it really is. Our purpose was made to minister. We were mm-hmm. we were biologically, however you want to call it, spiritually made to minister. And when we start doing it, we find what God created us to do to begin with. And that's why it's fulfilling. Is it, It's, it's yeah. like when a tool finds the right job for the tool, when you're using a <laughs> hammer to hit nails. When it's doing yeah. it, it feels right because that's what it was made to do and ministry is what we were made to do and we that's why i think we get depressed so much and get so frustrated in our life and so self-centered is because we deviate from our created purpose was to be a servant and Amen. so we miss out on everything and uh <clears throat> did you have any any comments Tom? it was almost as powerful uh hearing it the second time as it was the first time yeah you know, cool man. I'm glad. I'm, I just hope that it, you know that it encourages somebody. You know, I just I said sure. on the on, on the Tim and Mike show before. You know, we've been calling different people have been calling in and telling their stories and stuff. And it's just you know, it's not about your story like what you did. It's just about telling other people to get out there and do it. And one of the things that Victor had said was was uh, and encouraging them people you know to show the uh, the results. But one of the things that Victor had said was you know. Don't don't overthink it. You know, yeah, don't right. overthink it. So we make it too hard. He was actually on our show a couple of weeks ago, so this is all real fresh in my mind. Okay. And uh, he said we make it way too hard. He said, yeah. you know, we just got to you just got to go out there and do it. And uh, you know, and one of the things that the Lord's showing me is that it necess- you know, going down a few homeless is also is, is it was wonderful. It's a mm-hmm. you know great thing, but uh, you know, just having the Lord uh, almost just beneath the surface. You know, where you're yeah. in touch with him yeah. throughout your daily life so that yeah. when he needs to, he can come out. That's also, you know, just as important because then yeah. you can witness to the bends, you know, to the people in your life who, who have the Lord has given you favor with, you know, to right. people who only you can minister to, who only you can talk to. And uh, he, he does it better when, when you're better in touch with him. That's exactly right. And, and if we open our eyes and willingly seek... And try to find people who really need our ministry from the Lord. We will suddenly find out we're surrounded by them. If you work in an mm-hmm. office, it may be the secretary, or it may mm-hmm. be the person who empties the garbage can that comes by your desk. Uh, right. Somebody in the front office, if you're working in a garage, uh, you know, wh- whoever it might be that you encounter, I can guarantee you, if you're going around any other people, you're around people who need ministry. And mm-hmm. if if you will focus on that. And take it off of our own, you know, self-absorption. Um, you know, the the um, we were uh, talking in an early interview about this, you know, and I, and I mentioned about in the Christian bookstore, there's there's shelf after shelf of books on self-help, and mm-hmm. you know how to, how to our personal needs and our feeling of inadequacy and not fulfilled. The real answer is to go do what you did. Trash all the books. Just get off the couch, and even as imperfect as you know not perfect in this organization, you just get out there and say, I'm committed to look for an opportunity to serve and minister, and I expect to see God at work. And mm-hmm. it will happen, and it will totally get your mind off yourself and your own personal problems. 
And and what will yep. happen is I, I think from what I heard is that Emerald and maybe some of these other guys were used by God to minister to you. Yes, they were. <laughs> yes, they were. As well as vice versa. So God may choose those kind of people to be the venue in which he wants to give you a message. And it's only through service can we hear that kind of message that needs to come Amen. back. And that's real convicting to me, you know, when I hear that from you. I mean, that really challenges me. I get pretty wrapped around the axle on doing this future quake stuff and, you know, the emails and the collateral kind of thing like that. And there's a lot more I should be doing. Uh, you know, I do some stuff through our church, but it's not enough. And uh, um, But I, th- I think it's a real barometer uh, because I, I really worry about what major part of the Christian church is just totally in a funk because they just don't feel good about themselves or, you know, one thing or another, it's it's an issue. And so this whole, you know, infrastructure has been built up in our church for people's self-esteem and things. And if people would just become selfless and get involved in service, a lot of that stuff would take care of itself. Maybe not all of it, but a lot of it would. Sure, sure. You know, and don't sell yourself short. You know, I think that uh, you, you and Tom... Uh, your ministry is so unique, and I think that one of the things that's uh, interesting about it, uh, other than your your huge email load, um, you don't really see the effect it has on people, you know. And I think that it, I think it has a profound effect on people. I can tell you for a fact I've been driving around listening to Future Quake and happened to pick up a friend and, and uh, continue to listen to it when they were in the car. And uh, Tom would say something, or you would say something, and they'd be like, "Wow, you know, I didn't think Christians, you know, talk like that." Or I really need to hear somebody say something like that. You know, yeah. I, this is this is different. This wow. is something different. And uh, you know, I think that uh, yeah, you guys you guys do a great service, a great great service. It's a it's a pleasure every week. Well, mate, you know what? I appreciate you saying that, but that's a neat idea. I mean, what a great captive audience! If you got somebody picked up in a car <laughs> and you put it on, they're pretty much it's like waterboarding them with Future Quake, you know. <laughs> They sort of can't resist. I'm sorry. Sorry, I, I was just gonna say I'll go ahead and still instill the beans here. Uh, uh, Brother Ben, who's kind of coming to the Lord right now, is uh, the one who went down and fed, fed the homeless with me about a year or two ago. Ben was in my car, and we were uh-huh. driving around getting car parts for his car so we could go fix it. Okay. And uh, and uh, uh, you guys were sent talking about something and uh, talking about. Uh, well, basically, you know, you, you get one of you guys just said something, and, and Ben stopped and looked at me. And he says, "You know, I didn't know it, but I really needed to hear a Christian say that." <laughs> and and I thought to myself, "Wow, wow!" And he just like looked away, and then he, he moved on. I think Tom was saying something about how uh, how uh, he didn't think that you know America was a was a was a chosen nation like Israel was that the Israel was kind of a once in a lifetime type of deal. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and we, we we didn't necessarily uh, you know have carte blanche to do to do whatever we wanted. Right. And I think you're you're talking about a guy who had only seen uh, you know a, a George Bush type of Christianity, and and he said, "Wow, you know, I needed to hear someone say that." And it just you know I watched it help his development. You know, so I think those type of things that we won't know until we get to heaven how big how big future quake was an impact on the people around us. But I think it really was a big impact on many of us. Well, you're you're ministering us when you say that. But you know, when I was thinking about this and, and the community that's picked up around alternative Christian media, uh, you look back to the beginning of your discussion. You uh, you talked about having a show with Johnny the Longshoreman, another guy in our circle, who sort of starts yep. this whole chain. You know, talking yeah. about just doing the simple things that Jesus said. If all else fails, if you can't come up with some kind of 
miraculous, innovative, world-class ministry, then how about just pick up the Bible and read the list he's got there and check those off. Those are the ones he's grading on, by the way. When we get up there, that'll be his checklist. Did you do these? Not not did you come up with a World Ministry Center with a big globe out front. You know, know, it's funny. One of the things that Chris White often said to me uh, about different things, he says, he said, you know, I, I read a lot of I read a lot of like biographies of the of the great Christian man and stuff. And yeah. I'm reading George Mueller's biography, and George Mueller never once prayed. You know, he he didn't need like fire from the sky to help children. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he just said, oh, it says help the children. Yeah. So he, that's what I'm gonna go do. He wasn't on the fence whether children needed help. There was yeah, children all around them that like, were. What should I do? It's like yeah. there's all these kids living in the. Living in the gutter, maybe I should try and do something about that. Right, you know. Right. So you know, I, I guess what I see in your testimony, and I'm putting in perspective to our earlier interview we had here, and the whole big picture, is that when when the community of Christ, even as imperfect as it is, and all the hangups we have, when it has some degree of health, what happens is what God does and says through one of us percolates through the others, and it yep. sends all of us on a unique path. And then the other, we're like little billiard balls. When we go off on that and we think the Lord tells us something, then we bang into one other of us. And then that sends another one us off in a ministry, in a direction. Amen. You know, just last week uh, or two weeks ago before we had Victor on, uh, we had a, a gentleman calling to our show, Revelations Radio Network listener, tells the same story. But, you know, he heard, you know, kept hearing about this through the Revelations Radio Network, and all of a sudden yeah. one day he was driving by a, a kid who was hitchhiking and he just couldn't take it anymore and he stopped and, and picked him up and you know i think that uh if we let you know christ uh flow through us you know bo- both back and forth you know uh one of the things that we talked about when you came on my show was about how you have uh kind of uh partnered up with some of the younger generation and you've been able to learn from them and, and a lot of you are uh colleagues you know mm-hmm. kind of look at you funny and we think that there's nothing to learn from Young Christians, such as myself, only been a Christian a few years, but uh, I think one of the things that happens is that uh, it's the, the the passing back and forth of Christ in each of us, you mm-hmm. know, that that ministers to each other, you know. And here, my dad, you know, is more along the lines of the same age, uh, probably a little older actually. Um, you know, he's listening to Tim and Mike show. He stopped on the side of the road as well, and and it's not because the Tim and Mike show has anything to do with anything. You know, it's not Tim or Mike or just uh, knuckleheads, but it's just. Uh, the uh, the passing around, you know, the sharing of the body of Christ and encouraging each other. And, right. you know, there's no coincidences. When Johnny starts, you know, rambling about, he, there's a list of things to do. I bought a guy a hamburger, yeah. you know, and then Paul says, I'm going to go to a prison. And I'm, you know, captivated with a frontline episode that yeah. i, I got to go do something. It's not yeah. a coincidence, you know. And this broadcast will actually cause that to happen in a bunch of people who are listening right now. Well, I pray that that is that is how it's taken. You know, it's how it's taken. I, I'm I'm, uh, I'm uh, humbled to be on Future Quake, and uh, I hope that somebody gets something out of it, and that the Lord can use my my ramblings on. Yeah. Well, I, I'm pretty much for sure that that's the case. <laughs> the biggest blessing yeah. for our listeners is they didn't have to hear Tom and I rattle all all day today. Uh, we got to hear somebody who's out there doing some ministry. Yeah. And uh, I don't mean that against Tom. Tom does it too, but I speak about myself, but. Um, we're going to have to uh, say ta-ta because we're getting yeah. a little long on the to- tooth on the show here. But, sure. uh, Tim, I want to thank you for coming. And I also want to thank Brother Tom for being led by the Spirit to invite you to come on because it's really consistent with the theme of our show this week. And, and this really didn't come about until sometime Sunday, did the idea of taking a little detour for this. But I think uh, I think our listeners are going to appreciate this a whole lot more than our normal show we do. 
and it's real and it's where the rubber hits the road. And what we need to do is keep cultivating sort of a communal atmosphere of expected ministry between each other, sharing what the Lord's doing in our lives, inspiring each of us when the Lord gives us a personal message that even the, the speaker doesn't know what's going on. That should be routine. And, and we'll see a lot of great things with the Lord. And just think how much our numbers already increased just in the early days of our, our uh, you know, Revelations Radio Network and Christian media. How many more people are out there serving the Lord and doing stuff since then? And those are really exciting things. We, we don't have any reason to be depressed. Uh, we may not all have a lot of money, but, you know. Well, that's for sure. But, you know, <laughs> it's exciting to see what the Lord's doing. And, uh, you know, time may be short. We don't know. But regardless, there's a lot of work to be done. And That's right. uh, we're excited working with you as, as co-laborers. And uh, uh, I'm excited to hear the next chapter of what the Lord does in your life with this. And uh, I want to tell our listeners, check out. It's Wednesday at 9, 9 Eastern Time, right? Yep. Uh, on uh, Talk Show, the Tim and Mike Show. The Tim and Mike Show. If you type it into Google, the Tim and Mike Show, I think it's the number one or two thing that shows up. There's the page, and yeah. it's just us. There's usually not a, a, a sermon or anything like that, just us trying to share, you know, what's yeah. going on with us and, and, yeah. and uh, just talk about the world. And uh, I appreciate a few listeners, uh, if they get to email us, if they have had some kind of real conviction of the Lord from, from the show, but also... Call in on Tim and Mike's show, and you'll be on live, and you can share. You either can type it in the chat room there, or you can get on the phone and tell people a testimony of what the Lord did and spoke to you through this. And uh, the beat will go on. Amen. Well, brother, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'd like to have you back again really, really soon. We want to hear what the Lord keeps doing through you. It was, it was my pleasure. God bless you guys. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom by uh, Nick. <laughs> it's getting late. Yeah, sorry. Hurry that up. Um, any thoughts about our uh, our talk with Brother Tim? I liked how I, I liked how uh, he he shared it a little bit here, but I liked how the part where he showed up to this park with like a what was it like two Bibles and a hat and a hoodie or a Bible and a hat and a hoodie. Yeah. And he's like, Lord, if that's what I need to minister, then I guess you're going to have to do it because I can't uh-huh. do it. And then suddenly, uh-huh. you know, he's there ministering to people, uh-huh. you know. You know, that reminded me of an old gospel song, one that Portez used to sing called mm-hmm. Follow Me. Mm-hmm. And there's a verse that says, if just a cup of water I place within your hand, then just a cup of water is all that I demand. Hmm. Powerful. There's a since we're talking about songs, there's a modern there's a modern tune that goes. I thought you were going to bring up the ballad of Bilbo Baggins from last yeah. week. Bilbo, Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, famous hobbit of the world. Um, uh, no, uh, the 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 chorus of the song that I have I have on my phone, my iPhone, yeah. it goes, uh, "I'll follow you into the uh, homes of the broken, follow you into the world." Um, Meet the needs of the poor and the hungry. Um, follow you into the world. And I thought, that's it, man. Because it's cool because, like, the verses are all about how, like, when you go to minister, Jesus is already there. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's right. like, cool. That's exactly right. Yeah. That almost reminds me. Do you remember the quote of C.T. Studd, the missionary? 
I cannot remember it, but people can do it for homework. Look it up where he talks about how some people want to want to uh, serve within the sound of the beautiful church bell. And he wants to be away from a block away from hell. Yeah, he's, yeah. he wants to serve a block away from hell. It, yeah, he had one. I can't remember the exact quote, but uh, uh, in fact, it really, you know what? It wasn't a quote. Uh, one of the guys that was with him when he died out there in the middle of nowhere, yeah. uh, he said he knew he was dying. He knew it. And he was ecstatic. He said he started yelling like, like literally ten minutes before he went comatose and died. Mm-hmm. He started yelling and saying, "I've given it all. I've done it. I've given everything away." And he died with like a pair of shoes, a can of beans, and a tent. Yeah. And 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 you know it was all in the service of of of, of the Lord. He had finished the race and run the course. It was like yeah. And and to hear the person who had experienced that, who had seen that, sort of talk about it, you know, it mm-hmm. was like, that's powerful. He said he was ecstatic. He was like, mm-hmm. I've done it. I've done mm-hmm. it. I've given it all away. And he was a guy who was like the Michael Jordan of his day, right, if I remember right? Yeah, he was a, like a cricket superstar yeah. there in England. And back in that day, I mean, that would have been the Michael Jordan. Yeah. And he turned away from all that to serve the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, anything else I say here is going to be superfluous. So why don't I just bring in Merv? and tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we've gone into real overtime here, so... Yeah, you know what? I don't I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think there's anything else we have to add, do you? No, we're done. Uh, we'd like to hear back from you if uh, the Lord told you anything in spite of us. Uh, through our testimonies, uh, the people who came, uh, let us know. We'd appreciate that. And uh, I think until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Ciao. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.